welcome to the weekend watch list here on Intercut, the weekly show going through all the movies and TV that people just can't cut away from. I'm your co-host Arturo Surita, and joining me, there's so many ones for the Flash that I could use. I thought about the microwaving a baby, but I'm just gonna say he's gonna get here in a Flash. Zachary Shevich, how you doing, man? Uh, not too bad, you know. Uh, I, I don't know if this is something that I should have told you off stream, but uh, I thought back to Ezra Miller's old Facebook name during that sequence with the babies, which I've told you about, which, uh, it's baby something that rhymes with their last name. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. If that, <laughs> that was the thing, uh, from having mutual friends growing up. So I don't know, at least brought back some weird memories. At Dreams do come true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, what a what a Damn. weird moment in a movie full of extremely weird moments and and all sorts of like weird subtext and real real world context heading into it. Yeah, uh, look, I, I'm not gonna say that we're spoiling everything, but people were spoiling a lot of things. There is a mental health line in this movie that has to be the most ironic line of the year. <laughs> Absolute most ironic line. But uh, we will be covering the Flash. We will be covering uh, there's a new Pixar movie. I don't know if you heard. It's uh, they, they look like Inside Out. It's, oh. it's in theaters. Yeah. It's, it's about a, it's a, I don't know it, if you've heard this. It's a Disney movie where a young girl is trying to follow up in her father's footsteps, but then chooses, get this, her own path. I, I'm sure you'd be able to tell Amazing. It Can they tell it with things that you wouldn't think could be humanoids, but are then interpreted to be that way? Bro, I've never seen a movie so anti-racist be the most racist like pro movie on why people should be segregated. We'll be talking about Elemental. We'll be talking about Black Mirror, whether it's good, whether it's not. Should you stream the show? People are already streaming. Uh, as well as some Tribeca picks because Tribeca has wrapped up. Uh, there is a lot of award kind winners. Of. Kind, exactly. kind of. Exactly. You were telling me that anything will, anything that won will be streaming? Of yeah, so they do this Tribeca at home thing, which is particularly cool, and I think maybe is a cool. path that other festivals could emulate in the future in that uh, the, from today, June 19th through July 2nd, so I guess you got two weeks to do it, mm. uh, they make all the award winners available. You can uh, buy a $50 pass to watch them virtually. I think there's some also non-award winners that are available too. So even if you can't be here in the New York area, you can still catch some of the best movies that Tribeca had to offer. And, you know, it, it's helpful to have them select the best ones for you because sometimes you're you're weeding through, through the mediocre in order to find the gems yeah. at a festival. That's what we do for a living here. So we'll even have some more weeding that we're going to get through. Uh, exactly. What our personal picks are between the features, uh, the documentaries, and even some hybrids. Because Tribeca is all about the hybrids now. They're no yeah. longer a film festival. There's a story festival. Uh, <laughs> but Zach, so far, we have a pretty steady week of movies that we've been dealing with. Now that it is summer, it is not going to hold up. Any movie stories you've got from your trip to the cinema, to the multiplex this week so far? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, you know, other than all the people who just still haven't learned phone etiquette despite <laughs> going to the movies over and over again. Oh, you know what? I do yeah, have no one story from uh, oh. the the AMC. Uh, thank you know the best thing about going to a crowded screening at the AMC in New York is that you do get the uh, Nicole Kidman fans coming out and quoting along to the uh, welcome to the movies thing she's doing and we, there's a nice round of applause uh, as, as that wrapped up before my screening of Asteroid City but as Ooh. people were applauding for the Nicole 
Nicole Kidman ad, one guy let out a boo, and then the people in front of me said, like, that's honestly almost homophobic. (laughs) (laughs) By the AMC, you're talking Lincoln Square, right? Because that's the... Yes, yes. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. I got to experience that when we went to go see Smile. Uh, They damn near salute. For, for Nicole Kidman. That's funny. Uh, well, she extended her contract, so I'm sure uh, the yeah. rain will continue. You know what? Heartbreak will they continue are, to feel good in a place like this. They are right. On Pride Month? Ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Ridiculous. It's rude. <laughs> oh, man. I, I found it interesting that leading up to a lot of the screenings that we were having, every person who wanted to see The Flash saw it weeks before the movie even came out. I think yeah. people have already discussing this online, but everyone's like, why did it bomb? Why did it bomb? Everybody who wanted to see The Flash got to see a version of it. You should be questioning why none of them wanted to see it again. It has nothing to do with seeing it early. Fans should still show up. They ran the opposite way once it came out in theaters. And uh, it's also weird noting that uh, we've had this like kind of trend with movies, specifically with The Flash, where they released it in parts. Like, people did not have the ending that now everybody knows about. There was also uh, after credits that were still not put in place. And it's almost like this confusing trend of why even release a movie if it's not ready? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I There was also the other aspect of it on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this. Obviously, leaks are going to happen. And people were posting them galore. And when they were posting all of these leaks, WB was copywriting every single image to the point that there was that Spider-Man image that was fake that they wouldn't even own because they're not Sony and they copyright that too. So yeah. I'm like, I, I wanted to hold out for the weekend. You know, I don't have the privilege to be able to upload. I can barely upload trailers, much less cam footage. So I've just been waiting for things to hone down. WB definitely did not want people yeah. to spread things. Well, I did feel like there was an unusual rush to get clips from the ending or like big cameo moments online. And part of that is like crazy. you took, like you were talking about, that strategy of showing it to people months in advance and weeks in advance and getting all the big DC fans a chance to hype the movie up online that I and think, you know, and Stephen King and even a little Tom Cruise uh, who <laughs> yeah. got a got a weird shout out during shout the movie out. that we could. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think it's just interesting that like, it, you know, I heard about certain cameos, and even if I'm not somebody who's necessarily, like, that excited for the cameo moments, the way certain ones were being discussed, it made me, like, invested in finding it out. So I'm, like, weeks before this movie is even available to me, spoiling myself, and I don't know, I wonder how much of that... Um, nature of like letting people talk about it, making that kind of the big selling point of the movie and and a thing that is easily digestible through cam footage on Twitter leads to the movie doing worse than Black Adam did at the box office. Here's the thing. Has Spider-Verse not leaked completely online? Do all those clips that you're seeing? So my question, right, as someone who also likes talking explainers and spoilers, right, if you let me, if you click the video, <laughs> Twitter's completely different because, you know, you just get hit with it. Yeah. There is an aspect of it where that didn't hurt Spider-Verse. My mm-hmm. brother, who never goes to the theaters to watch animated movies, was like, hey, should I be going to the theater to go watch this animated movie? Like, even he was intrigued to go see it because of the talk that that had. So the fact that spoilers didn't hurt that one. Hell, uh, Alina was showing me, I, uh, Miller or Lord, one of them was retweeting. Like, like it had the slots. Yeah. The camp footage slots just because someone had noted an Easter egg. And, like, they were cool with it because it wasn't hurting the movie. Right. I well, when your movie's fact, that good. Exactly. 
when people are spoiling things and it's not a copyright issue, but a, hey, no, this is actually really bad and you're going to showcase in the world <laughs> immediately before they buy a ticket that it's terrible, the blame's on the content there. The blame's on the movie itself. But mm-hmm. uh, with that, let's discuss that first movie that we have here that like you had right there in the numbers. I, I That's atrocious, dude. I cannot believe that. The yeah. worst box office uh, that I have seen in a minute. The Flash. I keep calling this a Batman movie, and I've seen people get really upset um, because they're like, this is a Flash movie through and through. Zach, do you remember the uh, other Flash that appears in the movie besides Ezra? It, uh, no. The... Exactly. Can you name all Superman? <laughs> Can you name all the Batman? Boy, there right. are so many cameos for everybody else but the Flash. Exactly. Um, mind you, there's a little bit of spoilers that you can discuss there because there's an after credit scenes where they're deciding which characters may continue to stay in this James Gunn universe uh, and which characters may not by letting you know, hey, in every universe, some of these actors are like Logan. It's always Mm going to be the same actor playing them. Zach, let me know. As the uh, superhero aficionado of the Intercom Podcast, (laughs) how did you feel of the long-awaited The Flesh? Um, You know, I I do think that there's a quality to the film that, Makes it pretty watchable. I think it's decently entertaining. I didn't have a bad time at the film the way that I did have a bad time with some other superhero movies recently. Like, I think I did enjoy seeing it more than, like, Quantumanium, for example. Uh, More than even Black Adam, I would say, personally. There are just elements to The Flash that I ultimately find so much more distasteful than anything that happens in either of those two movies. And like, I don't need to reiterate the, the arguments about like using dead actors with through like CGI gr- recreations that are grotesque and horribly rendered. We, no, we, I don't the, think the we, family, the family chose the family sent off. Yeah, so then it then it's perfectly ethical and not weird at all and not something that I should feel conflicted about when like five people in the theater applaud it happening. Like I don't know. Um I, I just all of that aside, I do think there's a quality to the movie that is kind of like underwhelming in in, in like retrospect or, or in like thinking it through. Like I feel like it all builds to this moment that is essentially just like a wipe the slate clean, nothing really mattered, nothing yes. really changed thing. That it's so inconsequential and even the action of the movie I felt like it's building to this big Zod fight. I feel like I can say that because it's yeah, yeah, yeah. out there in all the clips, right? And it yeah. feels like that should be the middle point of the movie. But it is, it's is—it's yes. kind of the ending. It feels curtailed. It feels cut off. And it the big thing that it builds to is this pretty, like, cheap, you know, IP exploitation that relies on you having watched a Kevin Smith talk at some point on YouTube, like, I don't know. It, it just feels like the the uh, the rewards for this movie are not that rewarding, not, not that satisfying, not that fulfilling, other than that, like, chasing the high of in, intersecting all these different celebrities, you know? Yeah, it's a movie where Barry Allen has to go back in time to save his mom because he realizes, yes. like, well, I could run really fast. And... <laughs> Out of all of the things he could have done <laughs> to help his mom, he chose like what would have been number nine for me personally in the way that I would have run things. Right. Uh, obviously, it sets up this chain reaction where you get multiverses. I don't know how you feel about this, Zach, but I can, I'm getting tired that I can't count in one hand how many times I have sat at the multiplex to hear multiverses explained to me. It is mm-hmm. getting <laughs> ridiculous. But mm-hmm. it's never a true multiverse. 
it's always whatever Warner Brothers kind of needs it to be. And we got yeah. Michael Keaton as a big, big Batman fan. I like massive. Is Batman Michael fan. Keaton your guy? I, I I don't know who your favorite Batman is actually. <sighs> I mean, I they're, they're all to me. Like that that that's the thing about the Batman. There's no bad character. one. There's no bad one in my eyes, even the bad nipples. But <laughs> I, I, to me, it's either going to be Christian Bale or it's going to be Keaton. I have mm. that fondness for Keaton. I find it really weird. And I've said this with my 80s talk, and now we're in the 90s fully, right? Bro, you will the not find... The 90s nostalgia. Exactly. You will not find someone who is uh, loving Keaton's portrayal unless they're an old head. I'm sorry to say it. Like, every mm-hmm. single person who is not young is, is not vibing with. Like, they don't care for it. And it just feels so weird. You obviously were uh, referencing the cameos that happened uh, during... Uh, uh, the climax of the movie, I guess, if you want to say that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a carousel of like, do you remember this person? They don't even need to speak. Zach, I it, wish I had the picture. Even the way right it's here. presented looks like like a interstitial at the Oscars or something. It feels like D, like the DC con over here. I'm like at Comic Con <laughs> being presented for who the new people are going to be when they present the Batmobile, and they like oh, I got it right here. When they pull up with this Batmobile, they're like, look, the Batmobile. The wheels will not move. We will not get in this vehicle at all. That is exactly what they do with the cameos. They are just yeah. props. And to me, you know, yeah. you could talk about all the moral stuff in it. You could talk about uh, what it means. On its own, it just looks terrible. There is Awful. There is some that are based off test footage that never got to be seen. I mean, the, the director spoiled one. I'm not, I'm not going to get that deep into it, but I'm sure if you're watching yeah. this by this time, you know. How does that test footage that we never got made in, shot in like DV cam look better? Than what's in cinemas right now. It, it, it's it's a failure in so many ways knowing how much this movie cost, knowing how delayed this movie was, and how you were pointing it out. It's white out. This is not a movie. This mm-hmm. is something that was either going – it's really – it's almost meta in the sense this was either going to spawn off and create <laughs> all of these multiverses for the DC universe, mm-hmm. right? Because it's IP we management, were, the movie. Literally. <laughs> and somehow something that can create everything – James Gunn's a genius and can make it undo all of it. The reason Michael Keaton's in this movie is because, do you remember Michael Keaton was supposed to be in the Batgirl movie? Yeah. By canceling the Batgirl movie, you're kind of just wrapping this up right here and going like, yeah, uh, how can we put a pin on it? Uh, Oh, yeah, we'll reshoot multiple endings to this movie until we decide who's going to be in charge, where we're going to take this. And you remember how they released Clue with different endings? Yeah, I feel like that's how we witnessed this movie. We we yeah. did not know what it was going to be, and that's why I was mentioning earlier that fans and critics who saw early cuts of the movie were missing parts of the movie because they weren't and sure what it was going to be. They were also told that the VFX were unfinished, which like, LOL, they still unfinished. It's bad, dude. Um, I came out of it disgusted, but also feeling atrocious for myself. Because I'm a fan of these things, right? Yeah. It's they're dangling our nostalgia in our faces, but it's like I I, I can't buy it. It feels fake. It feels forced. It feels right. like the movie is telling you exactly what it's selling. You don't be attached to these characters. You cannot change the past. Don't deal with these things. Come to the theater to watch Michael Keaton in, in uh, Spandex <laughs> again. Like I don't get it, man. It's it it failed on on multiple levels, and it just feels like an out for the one and only Batfleck. He looks like the only person who had fun in this movie because yeah. I think he knows it's done. <laughs> I love that. I love that in that Hollywood Reporter interview, he's like, "I feel like I finally nailed the character." I agree <laughs> with him. He kind of was good in this movie in this short bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, 
Do you like Andy Muschietti? I mean, I think I liked the the, the It movies. I don't know. I mean, not like that much, mm-hmm. but I do feel like they were well directed. I I don't really get a sense that I don't feel like he had like a great handle on these movies particularly or this movie at least uh and now there's word that he's getting the batman franchise after this I, I mean like you know a lot of the batman stuff was pretty good in this but it, I, it's not the kind of like sure hand at the wheel that i feel like a lot of the previous uh people who got that shot chance are if that makes any yeah. sense agreed well, we I, I want to back up for a quick second, though, because I, I feel like we are being very negative on this movie that, like, I just said, like, I was mostly entertained by, even if it was, like, an empty type of entertainment. And you gave it, good. like, you gave it, like, a mildly positive review. Like, you found it entertaining. I, but I, I feel like this is sort of the opposite of the type of movie that we talk about on the podcast quite a bit, in that... A lot of times we talk about movies that are that are slow, that you have to have patience with, that might not be the most fun to sit in the theater and watch, but then you watch them and you like have this meal to chew over and they, they grow in your head as you think it over and over. This, it goes down easy. You know, it's, it's perfectly fine to sit there and watch, but I just don't like, I, thinking back on moments of it, thinking back on different ch- choices they made, it just makes me think of it worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I, I think a big comparison would be No Way Home, right? Mm. I think both of these movies, The Flash and No Way Home, are terrible when it comes to multiverses. They both right. do that thing of, like, endless possibilities. Only the characters you knew from the 2000s and 1990s, right? It's this weird <laughs> mix of it not feeling organic to the story, but to nostalgia, like we're saying. Yeah. Um, that said, No Way Home has moments that really shine, right? There are rescues that are made by certain characters. There's a rooftop sequence between characters that, you know, they, they connect because of their trauma. There's a lot of beauty in that. Even in Spider-Verse, there, there's just really good things going with it. There's a, I, I, it feels like shopping at a comic book store and you have, you have a blast seeing everything, but you're right. not reading a damn thing. Right. It, I think you had said empty calories. It's mm-hmm. completely empty calories. But it's not the worst thing it could have been. It's just no. frustrating. Potato chips taste good. Of, you have all this potential, and this is what you guys came up with. Yeah, I don't know. So it's, <laughs> the look, weirdest thing I, to I, me I is that. It. Yeah, the weirdest thing to me is that I thought Ezra was like actually pretty good in this <laughs> film. They were great, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where was this? Also, because there's a there's a part of it where uh, because Barry is looking at his past self, mm-hmm. he's judging. How annoying he was in the previous movies. I think that's perfect growth. Yeah. Ezra, they're not going through that. But, you know, that that's, again, the irony <laughs> in the movie. You can separate it. You can't. Th- I will say one thing. It is so yeah. funny to see a bunch of, like, people talking about the movie going, we're separating the art from the art. No, we're separating <laughs> the art from the artist. And I need to cover this movie for the themes. Ain't the theme to stop. Cri- <laughs> no one yeah. asked you to stop I'm the still- video to remind us that you're separating the art from the artist. Just do it, bro. Exactly. at that point, it goes against the themes. Yeah. Hey, so you're you're the person who's much more invested in Batman than most people I know. I so say the Ezra investigation. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that too. We're we're trying to get to the bottom of it. But uh, did you hear WB uh, reportedly, <laughs> allegedly, supposedly was buying old Twitter accounts? I'm gonna have to send oh, you the no. thread in oh, order no. to pretend like it was an organic fan who overly broke down why he why they're not guilty. I have to send that to you later. But uh, oh man. Ahead. 
I was just going to ask uh, the question you asked me, and what do you think about uh, Muschietti and, and their potential future as the director of whatever Batman movie comes next? Uh, Muschietti, like uh, Nolan and Snyder, um, has a dual partnership with his wife, uh, Barbara. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've always been working on these projects together. And I, and I like their sense of humor. It's, it's really dark. Uh, when you ask them, they think both it movies are comedies, which is really <laughs> twisted. And explains the uh, baby shower scene. Um, yeah. I think going in a brand new direction without all this baggage is perfect for this. I feel like he played game. He knew that this movie was going to go one of two ways and it kept being molded. I think he's, it sounds rude to say, but I think he's really good at working within a studio. I think, okay, that's a nice way to say Good company, man. Yeah. There you go. Yes. None of those were insults. I like him. I don't think he's bad, but uh, I think he's getting rewarded with something and I hope he's able to take the reins and do something really cool with it. Uh, totally. Especially because this is a Grant Morrison run. I think he could do something that's off-kiltered than we've seen with all the other stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, we'll have the Batman still coming from Reeves. We'll have this take. I- I'm still very much interested in what James Gunn's going to do. And Andy. So, those are those movies that... Uh, or this is the biggest movie that's out in theaters. Yeah, not the biggest movie that's out in theaters. Alongside, it's surprising to say, in June, I remember, for the A to Z show, I was on this every opening weekend. The newest Pixar movie and its Easter eggs, oh, 100% I'm going to be there. It is. It was always one of my best performing videos. Nobody cares about Pixar anymore. No. I, I feel so bad, because it, it's not Wait, even like up. I want to... Trash Let me get the back, box office back up. Ugh. Bro. Below 30. The they worst opening the, for a Pixar movie ever. Ever. I Yeah. I got to see this one early. Um, so I, I've been able to spot a lot of the, you know, little Easter eggs, all the cuteness that's in there. It's an interesting story in where it's pretty much just remixing Zootopia, if we're being honest, where all of these different inhabitants are now just elements in Elemental City that don't really mix but somehow there is this love story that's going to break through as these fire people who live on the outskirts of what really is New York and this little borough. <laughs> uh, they're trying to make it in this shop, but, you know, the, the man's trying to take them down. There's too many ordinances, too many permits. And in that search for trying to keep the shop alive and Ember, our main character, trying to run it herself, she, you know, falls head over heels, head over water for Wade, <laughs> the city inspector who uh, is also on the case to stop Honestly, the plot of the Batman, a leak that's in the city. Uh, Zach, what did you think of Pixar's newest Elemental? Well, I do think that, like, Pixar, even when we talk about Pixar as a company that's, like, lost its touch or lost its fastball, whatever idiom you want to use, they don't make, like, terrible movies. And I didn't think this one was terrible. It, 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 in fact, was, like, far better than I expected, given that I... I when I saw the trailers, I was like, "This is the, this is the bottom of this is the depths. They've reached rock bottom for Pixar." So like, I was able to enjoy this movie for for what it was, but like, it's not what Pixar is capable of, and in a lot of ways, feels, you know, still like almost parody in in some ways because they reach for profundity and they kind of don't really get there. It's very heavy handed in a way that I think their best films aren't Um, because there's things that are really interesting. And I liked that they are trying to depict the idea of, uh, you know, having your culture erased and, and, you know, the, the things that immigrants have to go through the, the whole element of them having like arriving at, Elemental Ellis Island or whatever it is and having their names changed is like a kind of radical idea to put in a kid's movie. But the rest of it is so 
like, oh, well, it, I might put you out because I'm fire. And I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I think there's a lack of visual creativity in the movie beyond the, the character design. You know, there's one quick moment uh, where there's a blimp and a bunch of like clouds exit the bimp, blimp and the blimp deflates and then more enter and it reflates. And I was like, oh, we need like a hundred more little jokes like that in this movie. And they just weren't really there. Um, there's a couple small ones, but it just feels a bit too easy, a bit too uh, not, you know, not, it doesn't like blow your mind or, or feel like it's the, I, the, the workings of an artist beyond your level in the way that I think a lot of Pixar Pixar's best movies do. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's designed to be more for kids? Because maybe as an adult, we overthink it, like you were saying. Sure. Do you think it's like an easy, accessible way for kids to get this message? I do. My letterbox review, I said, I don't think it's a good movie, but I do think it's a good kids movie. And that heavy handedness is the kind of thing that might like bring the point home to somebody who like hasn't waded into the immigration debate because they're seven. Uh, but like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just that I think when these movies are great beyond Pixar, just any animated film that's you know, ostensibly for kids, but actually for all ages, they're able to interweave those messages in a way that feels more organic, feels less like the movie stopping to teach you a lesson. Mm. Um, You know, I think there, I think there are cool things here, but I just think there's like, there, there isn't that, there isn't that depth that I think you get from other better films. So for me, it's like, okay, it's certainly worth it. If you want to see a film with younger people, it's probably one, you know, going to be one of the better kids or all family entertainment we get in the next month or two. But you know, it's not something to go out of your way for otherwise, in my opinion. Are there wood people in this world? (laughs) They're not lasting long. (laughs) (laughs) There's wood people, right? Yeah. There are tree people. (laughs) What do they sell here? Yeah. Wood. <laughs> I am so confused. That's the only thing that gets me. Uh, you were mentioning all the little nuances in the background. And you're right. They're cool. But then you're like, okay, but if they're like kind of helping each other out, then there would yeah. be like an odd one out here. And I feel like it's almost like making segregation make sense for why they need to live in the outskirts. And it's like, that's yeah. not the point you're trying to make. Like if you're JonTron, this is your movie for sure. But for the <laughs> most part, it's kind of like, I don't know, not fully thought out. Um, yeah. But a I mean, cute like way to approach it. Exactly. Like, if you want to be charitable to it, it's like, oh, these things that shouldn't go together can find a way to coexist. But sure. but it just also inspires the the thought, like, these things actually shouldn't coexist. They're they're actively dangerous for each other in a way that I don't think is comparable <laughs> to like race. You know, one hundred percent. You um, know, this one comes from Peter Song who yeah. has done a lot of Pixar movies. He's done a lot of voice acting as well. I mean, the man voiced a side character in Spider-Verse, so he knows what good animation is yeah. like. And um, uh, was my favorite part of Lightyear, his voice for the, the cat Socks. in that one. Yeah. Socks. Yeah. Uh, but also directed maybe my least favorite Pixar movie in The Good Dinosaur, and the one whose uh, financial failure record this one broke. So not, not like a... Dang, no, don't say that. Oh, yeah. that's rough. Yeah, oh, it's a rough sucks. go for the guy who you know does, definitely doesn't deserve that reputation. No, I like this guy a lot. Uh, part, part of the background, and we're going to make a longer LME on it, but he obviously you know came from immigrant parents, and he, mm-hmm. he said that that was a big part for the movie because they also passed in the making of this movie, and mm-hmm. it was the idea of wanting to tell their story. So like I 
look, he may not have the best movies out there, but I like his voice acting. I also do think he's yeah. a standout, uh, just dude in general. I did like his elemental joke, bro, or for the good dinosaur. The good element, because our joke is always <laughs> that movie was nothing but animating water. I don't yeah. know. I, I think he has a good self-awareness. So shout out to the guy. It just sucks that the movies are not making it. Should it have gone just straight to Disney? Plus, do you worry that Pixar is just kind of being put in the back burner for Disney? I mean, I, I think that Pixar movies deserve the big stage. And, you know, unfortunately, that means that you're ultimately going to release the the less stellar ones in theaters alongside, hopefully, the better ones. It's just been, like, kind of a rough uh run for them and maybe mm. maybe we don't feel this way if they put turning red in theaters and that gets its moment because i i genuinely love turning red um I'm, i remember people saying uh that those did fantastic but i'm like off of what you don't even release the numbers yeah and that's and that's the thing is that like they're gonna need that movie that has that like wide acclaim and cultural impact and it's, it's not a surprise that as soon as this one kind of didn't do great they went back to the toy story well and announced wooden uh buzz, buzz and woody, woody would be back disgusting very weird yeah overall i think it's if you can catch it as a matinee i think it's it's right there of still being a family movie yeah. but uh it's you're gonna have to wait until disney plus for it to really yeah. pop off Look, as the child of an immigrant who started a business that I did not take over, <laughs> like, it hit. The movie hit. But not not in the way that you want these movies to hit. When Zach went to Sundance, he went like this to his <laughs> the whole fire ritual. <laughs> Elemental, out in theaters, but it will be streaming soon. Pretty animation. Yeah. Uh, the next one that we had was one that Zach caught at TIFF. He has been yes. telling me that it's stacked with back-to-back jokes. I went to a theater... But it wasn't sold out. I heard uh, them. I went through some interviews. They had to make this louder in the second TIFF screening because people were too loud during the premiere. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah. When you don't have that. I, I like the movie. I'm going to talk nothing but positive, but I got to start with this. Okay. You are missing what is like the most awkward laugh track. And that is the only thing I would give the movie uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a little bit of a, of a pushback for it because uh, this is based off of a short. I don't know if you've seen the sketch. Uh, oh, no, it, actually. Comedy Central. Bro, I, I didn't remember it until I started playing it. There are certain jokes from the sketch that didn't make it to this movie. A lot did. But there's a certain joke. I don't want to spoil it. I was like, damn, I remember this sketch. Holy smokes. Dwayne's in this one. Wait, Dwayne, who was my favorite character in the movie, is also the writer of the movie? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It all clicked. The sketch does something that I think has been a big uh, push and pull between theatrical movies and stuff that gets released online. There is a quickness to online editing that I think audiences have evolved to, where you're yeah. not waiting for a laugh track. Mind you, it's because you can rewind it. You know, you can say it's the internet. But you're also looking to make movies that will be rewinded. You want to make movies where people are laughing over whatever the throwaway line, honestly, when you're making a movie, needs to be when someone says a big punchline. The best jokes in this movie are not the ones where they pause for the laughter. Yes. The best jokes, bro, someone talked about glasses in the background. All good from here on out, bro. This is stacked with so many freaking good jokes, and the cast is fantastic. When they are cooking, they are cooking. It is the story of a group of friends who have not been together for a long time, some even longer than others. They go to a cabin in the woods. They find this, what do they call it, Jim Crow Monopoly board? <laughs> and they have to play this game called The Blackening, in where they, they are playing trivia to see who is the blackest in order to survive, because in a horror movie, the trope is, 
black people are the first to die. So what happens when everyone is black? Bro, they knocked it out of the park with so many good jokes in this movie. I, mm-hmm. I thought it hit on so many levels. And again, if they would have made it just tighter, you can notice it with the, the sketch. Yo, this would have been an instant classic. I still think it's going to be one that uh, I'm going to revisit for sure. Um, yeah. But you, you hear what need I, a loud audience. Yeah. You it. do hear what I was trying to say, though, in that it does feel a little bit like it could have used another script pass. There's there's some bits that maybe lag a little bit. Like, there's a lot of very funny stuff in there. But there's also a lot of stuff that's kind of like, I, I feel like I've heard that joke at least 10 times on Twitter already. For sure. Uh, to me, it would have been the editing, you know? It's yeah. like, you could throw that joke in there as a buffer joke that we've already heard, you still want to make it, but, like, don't linger on it, like move, you said, like, move. as if we haven't heard it already. Uh, yeah. It is balancing, uh, I wouldn't fully call it parody, but it definitely is, you know? It's yeah. these people who are in a scenario, and as much as they're proving, like, hey, this is a black cast, they're also proving they could be as dumb as the whitest characters in horror movies. Right, they are but it's also... <laughs> Yeah. But it's also, it's not scary movie in that it's like, oh, we're going to wear a scream exactly. mask yes. and allude to all these things. It's it's a yeah. parody or a satire of the black horror experience or, or like what black characters end up doing in these types of movies. Um, do you remember Jermaine Fowler was in Coming to America too? <laughs> yeah, he, he was given the keys to the kingdom. I'm trying to find someone over, uh, where Jay Farrell's at. Jay Farrell opens up the movie with the funniest impression. <laughs> Of Eddie Murphy coming to America. <laughs> and then him and Yvonne have, oh, I'll go back to it, they have the best meta line at the opening of the movie. Yes, when talking the, about best meta jo- the best joke no, in the movie to be is their line. No one got the joke in my screening. Aww. And like I said, the joke is made and it lingers. Yeah. So when no one gets it, you're like, ah, Because it is one of those movies that's thriving on someone laughing, and even if someone doesn't get a joke, you know, a lot of the specificity mm-hmm. in it, you almost, like, laugh with the good time that everyone's having in the theater. Yeah. So I'm sure if you see this with a packed audience, it's going to hit. Uh, it's time to be released with June, uh, Juneteenth weekend, uh, which yep. is today. So yep. I can see it being uh, a bigger hit maybe when it's on streaming and you get, like, a group of people to see it. But with the convolutedness that is the, the the movie releases nowadays, you know, next week is probably the softest week we're going to have. I wish it was released next week, but obviously, like I said, they wanted to time it for the holiday. But for it to go up against the uh, Jennifer Lawrence movie, that would have been dope to see. Uh, mm. Have two comedies duke it out instead of it kind of getting muddled within the family movie and the big blockbuster people have been waiting for. Um, I, I think it's solid. I'd recommend it. I think everyone in yeah. the cast is hilarious. I don't know if you had a favorite out of everybody in the, cl- in the cast. Well, Dwayne Perkins, I think, gets a lot of great lines. He's very funny in it. And we do, you know, we've we've shouted out Jermaine Fowler a lot. He kind of plays sort of like the the antagonistic force in the movie in some ways. But he's very, very funny in it. Um, who, who I, I always like Melvin Gregg. I shouted him too. Cinqua, uh, is it Wallace, uh, the, who was also in... Uh, White Man Can't um, Jump. Recently, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, Dude's I think was pretty funny. Career. I mean, like, they give everybody some shine in this one. Yeah. Uh, I also got to, I have to shout out. <laughs> Jermaine does yeah. this thing with his mouth for the whole movie. And it leads to one of my favorite jokes, which is uh, a joke involving a stare. Killed me. I think that was the joke that got everybody in my audience. Because uh, it, it was the perfect intersection of comedy the horror suspense elements and going with the story. Because there is a message with it as well that I think is funny. Um about what is blackness, what is, you know, 
is there an idea of a monolith or not? I know that's what attracted a lot of people uh, in the cast to come do it. And I also think that the ending is hilarious because they have a, a mid credit scene in terms of how they sur- survive or do not survive the mm-hmm. uh, the events of the night. But uh, overall, I think everyone fires on all cylinders. Again, I agree with you. You're saying a little bit more on the script. I'm saying a little bit more on the editing. And I think you would have had. Yeah. I, I might even give it an extra half star for that. But the no, jokes I, are tight. I, I... I definitely agree with the editing uh, quote, too. It almost feels like they should recut it for the home release because it's definitely cut to be enjoyed in like a packed movie theater, which is not a bad thing until you don't see it in a packed movie theater. If you uh, a lot of jokes in the movie that I felt lingered a bit too much, the way they're cut in the trailer, I'm like, oh, there we go. (laughs) The way that the way that they're presented there are really good. Definitely yeah. check out the uh, the sketch online. It's also called The Blackening. It's, I think, hosted by Comedy Central. Uh, just, as, just as funny, if not even tighter. It, it, there's some jokes that did not make the cut for the movie. So do yourself a favor and watch that. Even if you haven't seen the movie, prep yourself with that. And it may intrigue, it may intrigue you to go watch it. So the blackening out in theaters, I think it's worth the trip, especially if you can find a packed one. That said, we had the biggest movie to come out on Netflix so good that even though the first one of these kills the main character, they extracted him back from the dead. Extraction <laughs> 2. Yeah, uh, more action. Yeah. The first the first one had a 12-minute wonder, Zach. They said, mm-hmm. what if we took the two and put it in front of the one and made it a 21-minute <laughs> wonder? Um, yeah, they doubled good. down. Perfect Father's Day movie, if you have Father's yeah, Day. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way of putting it because I definitely recommended my dad watch this one and he enjoyed it. Uh, it's, it's, you know, not the most complicated uh, film in terms of the plot it's trying to tell. It, in fact, it's quite simple in terms of, like, the, the story that it's, uh, setting out for, and it's not like I wouldn't even say that it's the most uh, breathtaking action choreography. I, this is not nah. like John Wick level. How did they, you know, orchestrate this so beautifully? You you feel the the choreography of it a little more than you do in a John Wick film. But I think Chris Hemsworth is extremely good in this type of role. Like it's so fun to see him when he is like a bit ironic and a bit knowing and and leans into the comedy. But he can do this kind of straight tough guy action role as well and and command that physical presence in a way that is believable and also bad. Badass. Like, I think this movie ups the level of badassery from the last one, particularly in that one sequence. Like, it, it's almost like a video game in the way he's taken out people. Yes. But, like, it's it's just extremely enjoyable. And, you know, I think that... I think some people sort of debate on the the oneers specifically and whether or not oneers are played out, especially now that we've moved more Let's towards like digital video and digital yeah. editing. It's so much easier to pull these off with with camera tricks and with CGI. And I, I saw a lot of people like thinking themselves clever and being like, oh, well, I can see the cuts. It's like, we all can see the cuts, the cuts. but it, it's about how it makes you feel. And yeah, I'm not like as blown away technically by this as I was like Birdman or something when that happened 10 years ago, but it's extremely thrilling and it keeps you in the tension of the moment. I, I found it to be very effective, even if it isn't like the the most revolutionary film craft in the world. For sure. Uh, I... I'm a big fan of long takes and winners, so yeah. uh, I, I I did semi have that critique only in the sense of sometimes you can tell where they needed a buffer and the camera, 
look, we all know where the cuts are, but sometimes the camera goes somewhere and you're like, you're only going over there <laughs> for one specific reason. Right. Um, it also is one where I'm reminded constantly of better movies that did it. Mm-hmm. And look, I see this yard one, which is also one of the best parts of the, uh, or yeah, it's 21 minutes. I'd put it in the top three moments of the 21 minutes scene <laughs> because they set him on fire. You see it in the trailer. That's they claimed awesome. to have really done it. Yeah. But then I'm also thinking of the raid scene, the raid two yard fight scene, which is also meant to look like a wonder that also has those cut moments in there. But like you're saying, it's not more really effective. about, th- thank you. It's just more effective. There's a moment later on when they finally escape the prison scene. I don't know if I have it here. It's in the train or on the way to the train. They enter a car. I'm thinking children of men, dude. They're doing the whole move around and literally yeah. a car explodes outside and goes out there. So I'm like reminded of all of the influences to it. It's not a bad thing. But yeah. I want to watch the next one or going, yeah, they pulled that thing from Extraction 2. And that's why the Extraction 1 one still sticks with me because I mm. keep imagining Sam Hargreaves, which I got to give some credit to right here, bro. That man was strapped to the car <laughs> in the first one that gets just uh, – that they just blew up. Yeah. And did you know Sam Hargreaves? Shout out this man right here, dude. He worked on all of the uh, Avengers movies, Captain America movies. Yeah. These big movies have a thing called a second unit director where they're getting the stunt guys to almost do the group project for them. Dude, I found out that the Wakanda scene where Thor arrives, you're wondering how they became friends, was directed by this man. Mm. The Captain America versus Captain America scene. He's playing old Cap since he was donning the suit for him as a stunt double since the beginning. And then he had his brother playing young Cap and he directed that scene. Zach, what the Russos do? <laughs> uh, talked about how the movie is like a 70s spy thriller, I guess. I don't know. Dear Lord. So shout out Sam. I'm glad that he's been able to to do these inventive yeah. things here. Uh, you still, mentioned John Wick. Uh, are, aren't they still producers on the Extraction movies also? <laughs> of course they are. It was funny. I went back to my uh, first Extraction video that I did, and I'm like, you know, it's really cool to see the Russos producing. They're doing something for uh, the Daniels. Little did we know. <laughs> They did something for the Daniels. Yeah. Uh, so Extraction 2, I think, still lives up to uh, the, the thrills and the chills that the first yeah. one gives you. I, I think it's still entertaining to watch. It is pushing it with two hours. Maybe it could be a little bit tighter. Agreed. Um, but they're looking to expand it. There is a character that appears. I mean, I'm staring at his name right now. I do consider him a spoiler. Uh, but several outlets were releasing it, and I think it's a matter of like, well, that outlet released it, so we should too. And I'm like, I think you've just become a part of the chain. So I don't want to say who it is. They're not in it that big, but they're being built upon for the third one. I could say right. that. So uh, Extraction 3. I don't, I don't know if you have a subtitle for it, but <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Alrighty. All the dads are. <laughs> extraction, <laughs> extraction 3, Father's Day. Perfect timing for it. Um, I know you have one other one that's limited that you're going to have for picks for the week. So let's talk about the newest Black Mirror Season 6. Caught me completely off guard. I don't know why I thought they were going to be doing it uh, on a weekly basis. No. Whole thing is out. And it's getting mixed reviews, which I'm really surprised by. But mind Mm -hmm. you, I don't think it's mixed reviews as much as... Someone complains about it, and then everyone else goes, this first opinion I heard, so it must be my opinion until I hear second opinion. <laughs> so, Zach, let's maybe change the tide. Uh, sure. You haven't been able to finish all of them yet, right? And I'm no. also missing the last two, which cool. seems like this one unanimously has been considered the worst one. But Uh-oh. we both did catch. Joan is awful. Break this one down. Your thoughts on it. Whether it still loves up to the Black Mirror hype. Yeah, so Joan is Awful, uh, which directed, as we previously shouted out, Ali Pankyu, 
who uh, oh. did another movie that we like back at South by Southwest called I Used to Be Funny. So a talent to really? watch as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so wow. I definitely was like hopeful for this one going in. And it's got an interesting Black mirror type of premise where this woman who is like working a very average job and just living a pretty average life suddenly finds that her, her life has been turned into a prestige TV show on Streamberry, which is this <laughs> reality's very, very blatant version of Netflix. Same ba-bump sound and everything. But they still um, have Netflix, as we find out later <laughs> in another episode. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's so, it, and then from there, you know, she's just dealing with uh, her life being portrayed to make her look worse than she is and starring Salma Hayek and the, the fallout from that. Um, which is like a solid, not only like a solid premise, but the timing of it is particularly good given that like we are in the, in the middle of a writer's strike where one of the contentious issues is yes. the idea of incorporating AI into writing and these, the, these computers who could potentially, uh, serve as the, the creators of content going forward. Um, a little weird that Netflix is putting this one out given their, some of their positions, but that's, that's for another topic. Yeah. Um, you know, Does that affect I, you? I mean, I, I don't think it really affects me because ultimately this is like something that Charlie Brooker wrote, Ali okay. Pinky directed. Thank you. Right. Like Ted Sarandos isn't coming in and giving notes as much as like he might be able to. I don't think he cares that much. Not like Kevin um, Feige with the She-Hulk bit that they did there. <laughs> yeah. Exa- they, they're like, I feel like sometimes these things slip by because there's just so much uh, content in the machine, right? Um, it's also Netflix. I, I, Netflix does not care. They're willing to call exactly. themselves out. So. They're, they're invincible at this point. They so. don't care, yeah. Yeah, this isn't going to do anything for it. Uh, and maybe that that could be a criticism of itself is that this is like, mm-hmm. it's ultimately like a like a blunted criticism because it's not really, uh, it's so, it's, you know, not going to do anything for the platform that it's on. But that that's a whole other point. Uh, yeah. Getting to the episode itself, there's a lot of it that's really enjoyable. I thought the performances in particular are fun. I think it's written a little Layered. bit broad. Yeah, I think it's a little written a little bit broad for my taste, and you can explain some of that away uh, with the the twists that happen at the end. Yeah, but I think I still still think that like. To me, the best Black Mirror episodes are the ones that feel like reality. And this one didn't feel like reality to me. Okay. Um, it's still, like, in, very fun to watch. And, like, the the timeliness of it, too, has to be uh, something in its favor. But, yeah, it's not my favorite of uh, the Black Mirrors we've gotten. Um, I'm still curious to check out the rest. But, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I loved it. I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, you were mentioning with the writer's strike, the idea that it's not just on the viewer, but even the actors who are profiting off of it, selling their mm-hmm. images, and then not realizing that, you know, it's not going to go well. I, I do think it's the next step. I think it's commenting on a lot of things that are going to make this episode age pretty well, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Because when you follow up with the second one, you do have what a lot of people are considering the best one, maybe of the of the series, maybe that and the Loch Ness one, uh, that and the uh, sorry, the Beyond the Rift, I think it's called, because um, the second one's about true crime, and I feel mm. like as long it's the as long as it's true crime, which they can sit down and watch, and it's separated from them, very good. But when the criticism and the satire is too close to the viewer not reading the terms and conditions, then I guess it crosses the line to some people. I do have to give a shout out. 
Io's agent. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's getting out of hand, bro. It's ridiculous at this point. I, she's everywhere. I I had to retweet. Alina had sent it to me because we had joked about when in the Golden Globes, I think, or the Emmys, she came out and pretty much just just did an audition because she's like, all the directors <laughs> are watching. Well, boy, did they listen. Um, it is unbelievable. Everything. She's freaking like these are not misses at all. Newest season yeah. of I think you should leave. Spider Verse, Black Mirror, Clone High, the upcoming season of The Bear, bro. Every time she appears as April O'Neil in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. that's I don't know why. That's the one that did it for me. Where I was like, oh my gosh, she's here. She's yeah, you're here. a real celebrity. And then and then obviously one of your favorite movies of the year. That's not even out yet. She's Bottoms. going to. It's gonna. Yeah, it's gonna. She's gonna have one hell of a summer. Already is Abbott. Just unbelievable run she's in. So shout out to her. Fantastic. Um, yeah. In terms of all of the other ones that are in there, uh, I think Loch Ness, like I said, is an interesting take on the murder mystery uh, or true crime. It, it just this one gets a little goofy, in my opinion. The moment that you realize what the ending is and you rewatch it, I, mm. I am curious your thoughts on Beyond the Sea. I think it's a little too long. There's a lot of twists and turns there. So I'm curious. <laughs> I'm curious your opinion on this one, and then cool. maybe by next week we'll wrap up on uh, Maisie Day and Demon Seventy Nine. Yeah. Uh, definitely a lot more that we can get into as we finish the season. For sure. Uh, Tribeca time. There are several movies that have come out of the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, Zach, you've had a way of phrasing Tribeca as it kind of being like the... You know, there are some movies that have their premieres at a festival and then go Mm. theatrical. (laughs) No offense to Tribeca. It's like the premiere for the streaming movies that are never going to be in a theater. And it turns out a lot of these are coming out on streaming. Exactly. And look, like, uh, there are movies that I've really enjoyed that have premiered here, but like, there's usually like a type of movie that plays here. All right. Um, I was, I was going over the past couple years of Tribeca, trying to think of some of my favorite films, uh, that I've caught here. And it was films like Always Shine, films like The Novice, Mm. uh, Swallow, which are all really good movies, but they're also these like kind of intimate, smaller uh, very, very kind of like, you know, pr- sometimes a little bit more personal films as well. And the thing about that is that like that's a that's a type of movie that I feel like is hard to do right. It's it's hard to do it in a way where you are attracting an audience that's beyond the people who it directly applies to. So I feel feel like you end up wading that's through that's a fair. lot of films that it's kind of like ah, not for me. Um, But there are those things that stand out that are excellent. And, you know, even the films that I don't think are excellent, they're usually interesting, just maybe not for me, for some other audience. So we'll we'll talk about the ones that we really responded to. We'll talk about some of the ones that we maybe didn't respond to as much. And uh, maybe we'll even get into some more Tribeca stuff next week, because as I mentioned, the Tribeca at home uh, availability starts today and runs through July 2nd. So you might even get a chance to catch up on some of the award winners if you're uh, listening to us and want to pay for that pass. So yeah, uh, where do you want to start? With the narratives, with the docs? Tell me out of the narratives we have bunched up here, what your favorite one was that you think people should catch since they're on the clock for at home? Um, so I'll go with two two ones here because okay. they're I like them for different reasons. Um, when we're talking about those personal films that, that uh, tend to highlight Tribeca, uh, the award win one of the award winners was a film called Smoking Tigers. 
Um, it ended up winning the U.S. Narrative Feature Prize for Best Screenplay uh, from nice. So Young Shelley, as well as the Best Performance, Ji Young Yu, uh, won for that. Uh, and it's this story about a young Korean-American a girl in the 2000s as she's uh, studying for college Ooh. and dealing with her uh familial issues and just like coming and and growing up you know it's a it's a standard coming of age plot given a lot of um specificity through its portrayal like through being firmly set in this kind of um korean american aspirational uh part of uh, of the world where you know they, they she's taking these these she's taking these classes specifically to prep for this SATs and looking mm -hmm. at a wall of photos of uh, previous graduates holding up you know their acceptances to different Ivy League schools it's very uh very regimented and very and there's a lot of expectations on her but she's also just dealing with the natural uh difficulties of you know becoming a full grown person and and learning about the world and and learning you know who your parents are uh and i don't know um there's certainly elements that i felt like were very relatable uh you know just get, if you if you come from any kind of like college preparatory background uh she gets a lot of the details right uh the 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 hyper focus on test scores and stuff like that um it may be typical in some ways but it, it's also just very true so i'd give a quick shout out to smoking tigers in that regard uh we were talking about movies that have that asian experience i still yeah. think one of the best ones right has to be Rice Boy Sleeps. So just, Love just Rice Boy it, Sleeps. Just sneaking that one in there because they also have that very uh, similar color palette in the yeah. uh, in the. Post. Did we ever? Did we ever talk about the Michael Jordan joke in Rice Boy Sleeps? That was so funny. It's it's a good movie. It's a good movie. Yeah. I think it may be out on VOD. I could be mistaken, but yeah, I think it is. Yes, one. definitely add this one to your list as well. It's a very good. One. Oh yeah, it's out right there. So, all right. Cool. Yeah, um, that's a that's a good pairing. I hadn't thought of that until just now. Yeah, we start a podcast. Uh, you had the space one. I haven't seen it yet. I think the link is still live as well. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about this girl doing the thing as an astronaut. <laughs> so yeah, ISS uh, stands for International Space Station. If you don't know, yeah. uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, about a group of astronauts, three Americans, three Russian cosmonauts, who are aboard the International Space Station doing, as astronauts do, various experiments and tests and learning about, uh, you know, all the that the great beyond has to offer. Uh, that is until a bomb goes off on Earth, which sets them on a different, much more tense path than they uh, anticipated when they came up to space. And um, look, this isn't exactly like the most high class, uh, you know, like action drama there is, um, it, even in terms of like movies set in space. There's a lot of like, oh, I can, I can see you're kind of like on wires and maybe a rolly chair that you green screened out in this moment. Like I'm not. The little leg, the little leg pull like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not exactly like a huge technological achievement. And there's some, I would even say there's even some like weird logic that maybe doesn't all add up. But just as like the kind of movie that you'd catch on cable one afternoon and not turn away from, I think it's like a pretty fun like exploration of what might happen and the, the, the tensions and the competing allegiances and uh, these scientists who are suddenly tasked into uh, becoming, you know, survivors and, and warriors. And I don't know, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. I thought it's kind of for like a, 
for like a low rent action movie, I would I would highly suggest this one. We were talking about like Good Father's Day watches. This is a good one. Oh, fair. I don't think this one has uh, been picked up yet. But I mean, it's, it's a decent budget, 22 mil, I think goes uh, right with what you were saying about these movies where Tribeca has the ability to host a lot of these films that aren't being pushed to theaters and sometimes aren't even being made. This sounds like exactly yeah. that type of movie. So awesome. I have that one on deck to catch as well. Looking forward to that Did you have any one. favorites from the narratives? Uh, there were some decent ones in there. I think just like you, you have stuff that like really intrigues you and then mm-hmm. you want to pitch the premise to people. But will it, you know, is it worth going out to the theater or at least catching at home so that they don't feel like the ending didn't fulfill them? You'll Never Find Me was a decent little thriller about a woman who appears in the middle of the night during the rain at someone's house. And they play it off really well because it's all in one location. You're being surrounded by all the sound of the rain and you don't really know. Who's the one who shouldn't be there or not? Is she there because she's got something up her sleeve? Do you automatically have the barbarian mentality that it's like, nah, I would not go into a random stranger's house. Where's where's his partner? Why, why are there things that don't seem like they belong to him scattered all over the house? It plays it effectively for, for a good while. It's, an, I think, an Australian movie. Uh, it has that tension going for, for a good minute. There's really good dialogue coming from both characters. It does give you a definitive ending, which I think people really want. This is a movie where I think it would have been better without one. Because the moment mm. you have that, you look back at one of them and go, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> but a lot of the lines at the beginning, you know, they're playing off of each other of, like, who really is the maybe perpetrator. Maybe they're both mm-hmm. victims. Maybe, you know, it's just a rainy day and they just ended up in the scenario. Um, again, really good sound. Uh, they do a really good job with the performances and uh, filming in one location that when it's out on streaming – Definitely think it's worth the watch. You'll never find me. Nice. One that I swore was a South by movie. It's filmed in Texas and would have actually been perfect over there is this movie yeah. called Lost Souls. I, I swear I remember hearing about this movie where a bunch of rappers got together and then just went out to the middle of nowhere. And it was called Lost Souls. Um, interesting movie where you have a bunch of rappers playing a persona of themselves. Uh, one of the leads, he actually traveled with, um, damn, no, I'm blanking on it. Uh, rest in peace. Juice World. And you, oh, you okay. can hear elements there, you know? I, I don't know if the influence goes, uh, them being on tour with someone as big as Juice World, Kid Leroy, if they were the influences as many times it is as well. But you have several rappers who are you know, uh, they have their own careers. They're coming here to play a variation of themselves. This is another one that we would consider technically a hybrid, kind of like Cypher. And as we noticed when some of the, the press notes uh, to Tribeca, they, they were kind of mixing up Lost Souls and Cypher yeah. as well. I think it's, it has these really cool elements where they're just chilling. It is a vibes movie through and through. Whenever they're doing narrative, I don't think it's the strongest point, but whenever they're freestyling, Someone drops a beat and they're all like trying to figure out what the what the verse is going to be, what the flow is going to be. Then they get it and then the beat stops because it's only a minute. Those are the best parts of the movie. And that's mm. why if this was playing at, at uh, uh, South By, it would have really killed. South By has a lot of those movies where they're just like you're just vibing with the characters. Uh, and whenever they're in that creation mode, I think is when it when it really excels. Uh, I'd be curious to see what all of these artists do in the future. I think it's shot very well as well. Um but yeah, Lost Souls, if you're if you're interested in kind of the creative process and, and uh, just following and vibing with these people, check out Lost Souls. 
Nice. Uh, I would actually pair it with another uh, documentary. I'll mention this one really quick. Apollonia, Apollonia. I think we should both have a link for this one, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Very long. But I was seeing a lot of people really recommend this because it is about an artist who is struggling to not just fit in within her community and specifically uh, uh, where she's from. Let me double check over here to make sure. I think I'm pretty sure it's Denmark. Um, and it's a movie where it becomes less about her I mean, it's fully her journey, but at a certain point, it really is about the creation process. And what do you do when you're like not even considered to be at your prime or maybe you've fallen and your art isn't really reflecting what people want to see or buy or market? And again, it's a very long introspective documentary, but just like with Lost Souls uh, that does it in a narrative sense, this is a documentary that's covering an artist trying to discover themselves. Um, I I thought it was pretty solid. So just to compare those two there. Uh, wrapping up the narratives, though. Uh, well, I got one, and then you got one that I was really excited for, and I'm kind of <laughs> disappointed that it's not that yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the first one is uh, Catching Dust. I don't know if you caught this one. Mm-hmm. I did. All right. I'll let you, I'll let you explain the beginning because I don't even have a picture here. And honestly, the visuals are the best part of it. So let me find you a picture while you describe it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a film about uh, a couple, a, a pair of couples out yes. in the desert, sort of running from things in their past, right? And and they collide in this way where they're able to to bounce off of each other and raise the tension. And there's always questions of who who's allegiant to who and why, and are, are things simmering between couples that shouldn't be, you know? Uh, one of those films that gets into kind of like weedy, like sexual, emotional... Uh, yeah. Uh, mixed up dynamics, right? So it's kind of like a like a very intimate thriller. It, it, it's pretty good. I, I I found myself being a little bit finding it a little. I found it a little bit melodramatic. It's really steered by these performances, like Erin Moriarty in particular, who a lot of people will know uh, from The Boys, where she's yeah. uh, what's her name, Star Star Girl, Starlight, Star, Starlight, yeah. Man, it's been a while I'm since such I watched a the boys. Ner- I'm such a nerd. I should have gotten it wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's better than me trying to call her a weekend character oh. or something. But uh, I thought she's part- <laughs> she's particularly good, like in a very different type of role than what she gets to do on the boys. Uh, I-, I know you're always excited for a Jai Courtney appearance. What did you think of him as uh, her kind of controlling boyfriend? He wasn't that bad, dude. I like the beard. Yeah. I think out of the two, he had the better accent. Uh, I had the like auto translations with the captions on at the bottom. Every time she said it was named Clive Klein, it would Clyde. just say it, it would say something completely different. But it would at least translate my boy pretty well. So I, I thought he was good. You know, he kind of has that menacing uh, demeanor to him because you don't fully know why they're living out in the middle of nowhere at first. Right. You just know that he kind of dragged her out there. There's this line mm-hmm. she says early on where she's like, uh, did you get whatever from the store? And he goes, no, we don't have the money for it. He's like, you sure you don't want to buy me a smaller box to keep me ca- <laughs> captured in? And I was like, damn, you know, there's there's a good play in the performances and the way the dialogue is written, even if the events and how they play out, I don't know if yeah. it wrapped fully uh, towards the, the the third act of the movie the way that I was expecting it to or the way that I would ex- expect these characters to really clash with each other, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah, it, it does feel a little bit like they're forcing some of the um, some of the climaxes. I, I don't know. It's maybe a little less organic. Um, but, you know, I, I do think, like like you're saying, like there's a strong visual 
um, it's component to it. Yeah, it's well shot. Uh, and th- they are able to build up that tension uh, yeah. in a way, too. Uh, the unanswered questions element of it that I think you're getting at it uh, worked. Yeah, there, there's also uh, because the, the couple that ends up moving in in the middle of nowhere because they thought it was a union <laughs> comes from New York. And there's this uh, 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 a visual difference between them living in a trailer park and them living in a semi that dropped off what is practically one of those minimalist houses. Uh, he's also like an artist and they have this clash between the two of them. But, you know, I, I like the writing. There's just certain moments where something's brought up from one couple just to answer for the audience what happened to this other couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, you know, I, I think it'd be an interesting uh, movie to stream, one that uh, uh, has decent performances, and like we both said, some really beautiful so- shots. I, I don't think this one was shot in Texas because I, I waited for the credits. I know it was shot on film, uh, and it definitely shows, but I think they filmed overseas somewhere. So uh, hmm. I'd be curious to know more more about uh, what the cinematographer's going to do next for sure. Yeah. Uh, tell me about first-time female director a movie that did not have online screenings yeah it's they're gonna have uh, an online premiere on roku exactly they're they're keeping this one well guarded so that people can uh, i guess try and catch it over on roku although honestly i would not really bother unfortunately this is the movie that i think really? i was the most hyped for coming into tribeca it stars and is the directorial debut of one Chelsea Peretti, a very, very Excited. funny stand-up, uh, a writer who's worked on shows like Parks and Recreation that I like, uh, a very talented performer in her own right, too, uh, when she does show up into in various comedies and TV shows. But uh, And she's gathered a pretty excellent cast here uh, between Looks Megan crazy. Mullally, Amy Poehler, Natasha Leggero, Kate Berlant, T- Tim Heidecker, uh, Andy Ooh. Richter, Meg Stalter. A lot of people that I personally like and find very funny and yet I, I had a lot of trouble finding them funny in in this movie uh, it's just a lot of like very very like very like basic cringe comedy the, the type of humor where you see somebody trying really hard but it's not really clicking um the the premise being that chelsea is this playwright who has been asked to direct one of her plays for the first time so she's now uh part of this like local theater troupe trying to sort of command the room and be like the best director possible but she has no idea how to do it and part of it is trying to play off the idea of gender dynamics and what is sort of uh, you know, the the patriarchal elements that keep women from ascending to these types of roles, but also the victimhood of white feminists. Like, there's interesting stuff alluded to, but that's all it is. It's just sort of alluded to. They don't really dive into it or have a strong take on it. The film ended, and I was sort of left feeling like that's that's it. That's all you're trying to say here. I was just... I don't know, uh, pretty disappointed with how half-hearted a lot of it felt, how how tossed off a lot of it is. Like, there's a lack of intentionality, a lack of specificity to the characters and the story particular, which, like, you know, we saw a movie earlier this year at Sundance Theater Camp, which was largely improvised, and they talked about how they found a lot of that movie through the editing, but that still felt like a story with a beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> this is just a collection of ideas and moments, and a lot of them, uh, there's like that 
awful rate stretched slow motion that just looks cheap no. and embarrassing. Dude, I've never seen so much rate stretched slow motion in a movie. It it is really really a disaster in certain points. And yeah, um, what what's uh, what's the boy that shot? Nope. Uh, that uh, shoot. What's his name? He's so good. Um, Who, anyway, he didn't shoot this movie. <laughs> Look, I, I'm excited because, you know, now you got another directing duo over here, right? Chelsea Freddy, first directorial debut, right? Yeah. Uh, unless she's done some TV, but it's her first feature. She's married to Jordan Peele, who mm-hmm. obviously, to you and I, is one of the greatest filmmakers working right now. Yeah. It sounds, though, let me know. This is her how it ends. Ugh, ugh. Don't do it like that. I mean, yes, true, but... <laughs> you're not wrong, but you're not to say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That's what it sounded like to me. I, I'm I'm excited for it because, yeah, it looks like it's a stat cast, but... Yeah, yeah and I, I don't want to say... How it ends. And I don't want to say I didn't laugh. Like, if you pack your movie with, like, five jokes a minute and you're as funny as a lot of these people are, there are moments, so I wouldn't be surprised to see some people come out of it and be like, you know, I laughed, I, I enjoyed it, but I just feel like so many of the jokes are so like poorly crafted and kind of like not really specific in a way that it, it honestly bummed me out. You saw this in a theater, you got the a link for it. Man, this is like one of the only films that I actually trekked all the way to New York to see in a theater. How was the theater? It's, it's fine. AMC in, in 19th Street is like a very inconvenient Ew. location. <laughs> but that, the, yeah, seats the, he, the seats are comfy. The seats are comfy. He didn't say the AMC. He said AMC on 19th Street. <laughs> difference right there. Already yeah. noted. The audience didn't add to it? Nothing? It didn't seem like people were vibing with it? There were some people, but it was I, it was a press screening too, so it's a little more, uh, you know, you stuffy. Start and, <laughs> you should yeah. start with that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, it's, it's coming out on Roku. I don't know if we have a date for it, but at least, you know, it'll be free as Roku continues yeah. to add to their uh, catalog. They had the one from TIFF last year, which was... Yeah. Uh, y'all got to see it. Um, what, what's the other? The, the big Roku one. Oh, oh yeah, uh, the, the Weird Al movie, yeah. So, I mean, they're not throwaways. Even if they may not live up to, you know, the the, the potential for many, uh, there's still there's pretty big pickups, pickups for Roku. So Yeah, Roku's uh, we'll making a real effort to try and get into that space. And look, I mean, there's a lot of famous people, and, and there's going to be some cameos that I'm sure people are delighted to see. I just wish it was better. Sounds raw. Uh, let's go to the documentaries before we end with one of the biggest winners and my most anticipated. Uh, I yeah. mentioned Apollonia Apollonia, a documentary about a uh, artist that kind of gets down to all the stuff that she's been working on. Uh, I saw Everybody, which I kind of mentioned last week. It is the newest one by just Julie Cohen. She's usually a duo uh, who has done multiple movies. I've shouted out every single one of these documentaries. I think they're just really good at making profiles. Uh, Betsy West is not included in this one but it pretty much just talks about uh intersex people and just like from the inception of birth how people decide you know this isn't as many would argue someone who gets to decide later these are people who are born intersex and decisions are made for them very good documentary check this one out when it's out Uh, yeah i was uh pleasantly surprised to see that focus features is attached to it you know you don't normally see a yeah. big name on a on a documentary like that. So hopefully mm-hmm. it'll actually get into some theaters. Agreed. Oh, they're also just, whoever does publicity for their team, 
they've always been really good. I don't. It's not a matter of like being nice to us. You and I are always talking about publicity teams that are like, "Are you sure you want this movie?" Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm requesting it. Uh, we'll we'll <laughs> wait until it's closer to a release date or when it's this. Or many times we get people who don't give us a link, and then nobody sees their movie, and they go, "Ah, magically found, <laughs> magically right? found a link for you." Focus features, and they always. That they walk their talk. They make these profiles, these these meaningful documentaries, and they they're not uh, they they don't uh, gatekeep them. They always make yeah. sure to, to to release stuff out there, even when it's a big studio behind it. Um, yeah, the gatekeeping you, was real bad at this year's Tribeca. I just got to tell you, I I, I saw ridiculous. maybe half the movies I intended to because people decided not to share them. Like, exactly. I'm sorry, you're the ones who submitted these films to Tribeca. <laughs> I'm just trying to watch them. <laughs> And they're going to be streaming, like, by July 15th. Yeah. I looked at so many of them. I'm like, what's the point? Yeah, have them go straight to VOD. I don't get it. It's Trust us. It is not the way to go. But, hey, nonetheless, you did see this one called Scream of My Blood. I think this looks pretty interesting. Oh, you – oh, okay. Gotcha. I know this one again. Talk about it again. (laughs) Yeah. uh, This is the uh, Gogol Bordello documentary. I talked about it briefly last week, but I'll talk about it a little bit more right now because Gogol Bordello is a really fun band. Uh, I, like many Americans, first found out about them uh, when the lead singer, Eugene Hutz, was cast in Everything is Illuminated. Did you ever see Liev Schreiber's directorial debut, Everything is Illuminated? With Elijah Wood returning to right uh, tr- Trace's ancestral roots, yeah. Damn, I know this poster, but I don't. Great poster. Great poster. Really beautiful I, I've looking never seen movie. The movie. Yeah, it's Good. a beautiful looking movie. Recommend uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd recommend it. You know who shot it? Uh, Matthew Libatik, who ended up doing like all the Aronofsky movies, like Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. Uh, somewhat less notably, Don't Worry, Darling. Uh, hey, but it's, good it's cinematographer. Still, still look nice. Yeah, good cinematographer. Exactly. Oh no, 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 dude. Yo, he is good. He is great. He is the best part of the behind the scenes for, for Don't Worry, <laughs> Darling. Yes, I know the guy. Okay, okay. Well, um, okay. So yeah. I'll recommend everything is illuminated, but getting to the documentary, uh, you know, it's a really cool story about this this band. Uh, essentially, what they 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 identify as like gypsy punk, essentially, because they're uh, from like Roma, Roman people, uh, or at least that's that's what Eugene is, and he's a immigrant who uh, immigrated to Vermont actually as a teenager from Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, and the band Gogol Bordello which plays this kind of like old Eastern European style inflected punk music is entirely assembled from different immigrants from different areas. And some of them are uh, Ukrainian immigrants, but a lot of them are are from, you know, Latin American countries or, or from all over the place. Like it's just kind of become this uh, hub of musicians who have, you know, a, identities that are are mixed in some way which okay. gives it a kind of unique uh charm and and ends up being part of like the story that he's telling um so the film tra- partially tracks uh the story of the band and how they rose to fame and and sort of the the ideas behind it that motivated uh, this in the first place but also uh talks about Eugene's past in Ukraine and uh what's going on in that nation now because he went and visited uh, recently with the uh, war going on and everything. So I think it's a wow. really uh, fascinating look at just like a guy who's lived a fascinating life and, a coll- and an interesting collection of people who are doing something uh, a bit different, find, you know, uh, becoming this this like space for immigrant kids to flock to. Um, 
I don't know. I, I dig it, but I'm also a big fan of the band, and maybe that's just like it's documentaries like this that convert a lot of people. So yeah. maybe if they're a band that you've heard of or, or it sounds interesting to you, this could be like a fun entry point. Sounds good. I mean, I, I don't know too much of them, but I'll do that double feature with the movie as well. Let you know yeah. by next week. Sounds good. All right. That one is Scream of My Blood. Really cool, really cool poster. Yeah, I right. Mean, the, the title's already dope, but like, damn it, I need to be right here. Scream of My Blood. That, that's, that's sick. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two quick ones here because they're already streaming. Uh, Stan yeah. Lee, they sent this one early. <laughs> Bro, this is great. I asked for it through Tribeca. They said no. <laughs> the next day, Disney sends it to me. Right? Why? With the Make it make sense. Episodes. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I, how can I get the secret, like the biggest thing Marvel has, but I, I can't get some of these docs. I, Stan Lee is the documentary about, uh, you guessed it, Jack Kirby and how he <laughs> was <laughs> taken, all of his creativity was taken by Stan Lee. Look, I, I know how the Disney docs go. It's going to be an 86-minute piece talking about the guy who did all the marketing for himself. I love Stanley. I met Stanley. One of my favorite pictures is seeing him with my buddy Brian at Comic Con, um, or one of the. Cops. Well, you're wearing Batman gear. I, I, I <laughs> think I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the best. Um, he's the goat. We know this. In the documentary himself, he like, it, well, obviously he's not here. The way that it's edited, it, it's done in a way where you don't really get to the nitty gritty. His name is Stan Lee. I, I want to say it's Lieb. He, he has a Jewish sounding name. And as he starts writing Captain America fighting Nazis, he just goes, and I cut it to Stanley. And I'm like, what can I, can I, can I know more? Can about we dive that? into that? Really, yeah. I want to, I want to know more about uh, just yeah. Stanley. Stanley oh. Martin Lieber. Lieber. And then they just leave it like that. And I'm like, well, I thought this was the doc where I'm supposed to get to know you. Okay. We're going to spend 10 right? minutes on you and your wife spending a lot of money and living paycheck to paycheck. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the creativity side of it. Stanley. He says it with his whole chest. I will tell Jack Kirby a bullet point list of what to do and then returns. And I'm like, bro, this is the worst thing to say to documentary. He gets all of Jack Kirby's just complete outline, the art. All he has to do is put the stuff in the top bubbles. And I'm like, Stan, who made this doc for you, bro? Because this <laughs> sounds rough. It makes it. You are not skipping on the allegations that people have about Stan Lee being the coaster. That a lot of mm. people think he was in terms of Jack Kirby being the one who had all those ideas. Uh, Steve Ditko, who passed away not too long ago, right. uh, was also brought up a lot with the release of this documentary because, you know, that's yeah. the man who really put Spider-Man in the forefront. So but he we, became a recluse. So we worry with these profile documentaries a lot. Are are they just going to be these like hagiographies, the, these altars <laughs> built at the, at the pillar of Stan Lee? You're telling me it's not so much that, at least uh, for part of it. No, 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 no. They, it is. It's saying okay. it proudly, not realizing you're oh, kind of... Oh. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, yeah, yeah. They had a Mickey Mouse one as well, where the Mickey Mouse one was just like, you know, and everyone had to do something during the war. And so we did Mickey That's Mouse so propaganda funny. where it, Mickey was selling uh, military weapons. <laughs> and it's like, or you could have just opted not to do anything. They mentioned things here like it's a boast. And I'm like, I don't think it's the boast you think it is. It makes it mm. sound like somebody else had the creative ideas, which is the story that people think is already out there. It's look, it's too short for a man who is known to be one of the who's known to be comics. Honestly, I can't right. even think of anybody else more synonymous with the iconic comics comic book writer than Stan Lee. So um, yeah. look, 
as a fluff piece, it's yeah, it's very nice. It's enjoyable. It's uh, they do a really good job of taking a lot of his archives and and just digging deep into how young he looked back in the day. Personal mm. photos. It is not a bad. What'd you call it? Geography. <laughs> Break that one down. Uh, it's like like a biography that's meant to sort of like put cast people in like the perfect light. They're the best person ever. That. I like documentaries that get into it, and uh, this one does not. It does kind of by accident. It's not on Disney Plus. Uh, again, not a bad documentary, but it, I wanted it to go a little bit deeper, and maybe one day it's, we will get that Stanley Duck. Stan it's Lee Lieberduck. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it's directed by David Gelb, who's previously helmed Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Is there, is there any evidence of that in this one? Editing-wise? Yeah. Okay. It, it's it's snappy, yeah. No, bo- both both cool. are very very well cut movies. So, uh, yeah, it tracks. Yeah, Jiro's so much better though. But yeah, <laughs> it, it's not a bad documentary, but it's definitely not the best profile. Totally. Uh, and then last week, I I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave a shout out to this one, which is now on Netflix. But have you had a chance to uh, catch Take Care of Maya? Sadly, and so did my mom. We both got the screener Ooh. link before it came Yikes. out. She came over yesterday. And we just like we just we just vented about this movie. The mm-hmm. most frustrated documentary that Netflix has released this year, in my opinion, has to be Take Care of Maya. A movie about did they say it here? When when I found out it was John Hopkins, that's crazy <laughs> to me. Yeah. A hospital, specifically this group of doctors, who took away a child and caused so much turmoil for the family. And then two-thirds of the way of the movie, they hit you with this, like, big bombshell. And I'm like, yo, this should have yeah. been the first third of the movie. Yeah. Like, I don't want, like, I don't want to spoil the true story because it's also ongoing. But if you're willing to get a lot thrown at you, um, Take Care of Maya is that documentary. Yeah, it's a very effective and very searing uh, you know, I almost want to call it true crime, even though it's, like, through the... Honestly, yeah. The best thing the, that they did was yeah. not not handle it that way. Yeah. Do, do you did you find it to be emotionally manipulative or do you just feel like it was like authentic to the story? I think it can be both. I yeah. think that the story that is happening to a lot of these people is a true story that they feel they need. To, this is why I want you to watch that second episode of Black Mirror from the new season. Mm. It's about that. Um, how they can tell you in that new Black Mirror episode. Someone says something and they're like, actually, say it this way. And then they just say it. And Lena looks at me and was like, wait, they could just tell you what to say in a true crime doc. And then you will never know <laughs> the behind the scenes. Bro, there are multiple shots here where it's like, look, there's one cameraman shooting this from different angles. I'm a big stickler when it comes to docs that do that. You know, kind of like someone surprising somebody and the camera's already inside the house. Right. Uh, it does a lot of that. So, yes, it is manipulative. But they also were manipulated. I don't think that, that yeah. cancels out. Yeah, I mean, look, their their story is like a really compelling and tragic one that deserves to be told. I don't know if this is the best telling of it or or one that takes into account like the full full scope of what happened, but just embedding you with this family's trauma and trying to give you the feelings, the the awful you know, unimaginable feelings that they went through. It works at least on that level. So I think it's going to be uh, one that people talk about when they, if they, they get a chance to, you know, Netflix is really good at pushing these kinds of documentaries yep. out. Uh, I'm curious to see like 
if there's going to be any interesting responses to this, because I'm sure there are people who like can dive much deeper into the issues that are being presented and, and, and come out with a more coherent, like this is what needs to change or, or went yeah. wrong kind of thing. It's yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I don't know, there may even be a follow up, but uh, yeah, probably one of the biggest uh, Netflix drops that they'll be having uh, at least in this half of the year. Uh, we got to see it for Tribeca, but it is now out. So <laughs> I don't want to say enjoy, but like brace yourselves if you do watch yeah. it. Take care of Maya. Uh, wrapping this docs up, so our last two, a doc and then a hybrid doc narrative. Yeah. Um, do you have a preference which one you want to start with? Let's go with Chasing Chasing Amy because I, I thought this Ooh. one was really, really good. Break it down. Uh, so Chasing Chasing Amy, as you might be able to infer from the title, is a film about chasing Amy and, and diving into its iconic and somewhat messy legacy uh, as a film that came out, you know, in the 90s that dealt with LGBTQ issues in a way that a lot of mainstream films didn't, a lot of mainstream comedies didn't. And, uh, you know, it's significant, a film that's significant in a lot of ways because of how it was honest and not punishing in its portrayal of LGBTQ people. But it's also a film that has this messy reputation since it comes from writer-director Kevin Smith, who has we all know is not a lesbian <laughs> or, or, <laughs> uh, writer, or maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I think, you know, it's been an interesting thing to see people and different film writers contend with over the years because chasing Amy, I, I would yes. say it's one of Smith's best films, but it's also this film that for a lot of people was very significant and a significant, uh, form of representation since it came out in a period when that was not the norm for, for Hollywood or anything like that. It's also like a film that is very much of its time. And we, you know, a, a lot of people make a lot of weight of uh, talking about old films as problematic. And there certainly are problematic elements to chasing, chasing Amy, but I, what Authentic. I or rather to chasing Amy rather, but what's yeah. so good about chasing, chasing Amy, the documentary is that it dives headfirst into what yes. those like messy, uh, nuanced areas are. A movie can both be this yes. stunning achievement that is very important and literally life-saving as they talk about in the documentary and also have these areas where, where it failed and where it's connected to, uh, to, to sadness and to trauma. And uh, I think Sav Rogers does a really great job of taking a film that I was worried would just kind of be something that exists in the shadow of a film like Chasing Amy and, and transcending to actually make like a very compelling story of their own. Uh, I, I thought it was not only great, like maybe the best do straight doc that I saw at Tribeca this year. And I think you agree with me. Out of what I've seen, it's the best Tribeca movie that I caught. Like you were saying, yeah. uh, I wasn't sure if this was like a behind the scenes making of, of the movie. And then I realized it's, it's almost like a fan's perspective of it. And like you were you, you handled it well about it is looking back at all of these movies that, that filmmakers, fans are looking to contend with because movies have their own life cycles, right? Whatever the movie is about and who the intended audience is for is completely different than who ends up connecting to it. Uh, yeah. In the past weeks, we talked about uh, the Donna Summer doc, someone who made music to like, you know, just have sex. But it was <laughs> the LGBT community who really connected with it. Uh, when I was in college, uh, we worked on a movie that was supposed to be about a parent and a child. But 
it had a pretty gay-centric storyline in terms of coming out to your parent. And, Mm -hmm. like, you either hone in on that and realize who it's really connecting to or, like, be stubborn and make it, you know, targeted. You continue targeting it to the people who aren't going to connect with it as well. Yeah. Chasing Chasing Amy stars Ben A- or I'm doing it as well. Chasing Amy stars Ben <laughs> Affleck as a dude who wants to sleep with a, a a woman who's a lesbian just because like he feels he 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 can have her because at one point she was with a man, right? Right. The fact that it's breaking down the movie, the making of it, the cultural relevance of the movie and 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 how it stands now, I think is fascinating with the way that we perceive media today. Uh, I don't want to fully connect it to the idol, but it's almost like the way that we're discussing. People are discussing the idol uh, at this point in time. And I'm not saying that that one's not guilty or not guilty of whatever it is. But the idea of being able to broach subjects in a messy way, in an authentic way. What will the ripple effects be when you sanitize something? Will it have the same connection? Then all of that to the side, it becomes this personal story of this director and how they're connected to the movie. The access that they get to the movie. And mm-hmm. then the freaking love story in this movie is, bro, you know to me that those documentaries yeah. are the ones that get me the most. And there are lines that I was telling Zach, I was like, I don't know if this is considered a spoiler, but damn, if they don't release a trailer with that being the final <laughs> line of the trailer, I don't know what to tell you. I highly, highly recommend this movie. Really good talking heads. Um, very interesting uh, uh, archives that they pull up with it. And like I said, that, 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 that story for the director, fantastic. He killed it. Chasing Chasing Amy, so far, my favorite of the festival. You know, there was uh, that Kevin Smith documentary that was at South by a couple years ago. I think it's available on VOD. <laughs> Clerk. Yeah, yeah, I almost yeah. feel like this is a better Kevin Smith documentary than that Kevin Smith yes, documentary. Sir. Yes, sir. Easily. Uh, I don't know the release date of this, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be mentioning it. Keep yeah, doing we'll on give it another shout out. Whenever it comes out. However, my most anticipated, right? Yeah. I still haven't seen this one yet. A hybrid, almost documentary that, again, I swear to you, this one was at South By. It was then pulled when South By went hybrid, and I couldn't catch it because they didn't want it online. Zach saw it online. Tell me about (laughs) Cypher. (laughs) Yeah, this is actually the Founders Award winner for Best U.S. Narrative Feature, which surprised me because I thought this was a documentary about Sierra Wack until I watched it. Um, It is a really interesting film that, as we mentioned, is kind of hybrid because it begins as this documentary that charts Sierra Wack's rise into the music industry and the name that she's made for herself as this really dynamic, fun rapper with a very uh, unique sense of style and a unique vision. Uh, and and the movie just does this very interesting thing where it shifts from being this profile documentary into a, almost like a commentary on the way that people uh, generate conspiracy theories about people in Hollywood and the idea of indus- industry plants and, and secret societies. Um, it's It's... You know, devolves into like YouTube conspiracy uh, video, but like Whoa. in a way that that okay. feels really fun. Um, okay. So, you know, it, it's it's ninety minutes, but it pr- it probably feels like a little bit over long to me. Like this would have been like the perfect thing to accompany a Tierra Whack album is like behind like a behind mm-hmm. the scenes video type of thing that is a little more intriguing than you're expecting. But I, I think it ends up being this very. A compelling look at like fame and our our desires to make things uh, make things bigger in our in our imagination than they are in reality. Um, 
Yeah, just sort of like a, a compelling mystery that that you know does that thing where it really lied, rides the line between is this really happening or not uh, in a, in a really? fun way. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's not necessarily like the most revolutionary hybrid film out there. I think there it gets to a certain point where you realize, oh yeah, this is all made up for the film but the way that they mix it all together is is really cool and ends up in a way telling you more about tiara that this is what she's more interested in than doing like a traditional music documentary bro i thought this was really just going to be her doing a cypher overbeat (laughs) (laughs) yeah well when you when they get to the double meaning of cypher that's when it really really opens up and i should know better than that as if we we're both big fans uh have you had the chance to see her i got to see her once at lala the energy is yeah. insane. Bro, I saw her at Pitchfork, remember? Was I there that day? Or did you nah, get to I think see you, I think that I was her. the day before you came. Damn. Then I probably saw her at home. <laughs> yeah. She's the best. We both highly recommend her. She's I, so good. Like, literally, when I was over at your house, uh, one of the last uh, trips, we, you just had Tierra. It was like a playlist <laughs> of Tierra Wack, anything she's ever been in, in the bed. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, dude, this is one of my most anticipated. I am very excited for this. They're it's making fun. it very difficult to get this one. But it is now online. I highly recommend it. I haven't even seen it. And I think you recommend it as well. Because it, this sure. one should be on the at-home thing, right? Yeah. Uh, as an okay. award winner, I would ex- expect it to be, yeah. Perfect. So that is a lot of our picks from Tribeca in its first yeah. run. A lot of things expired on us as well. There's this thing where it's like we're waiting for links. Then once the links do come through, well... How was I supposed to schedule them in? I don't know if you're going to send it to me. And then you got to deal with like five links and you got to pick which ones you got to watch. And then for Zach, he's going to actual places. And then the Flash is still running yeah. in my house because it's so long. <laughs> so, so much to handle there. But uh, we will probably have another dispatch. You can keep uh, tuned in over on the site, the show.com where we're posting a lot of our uh, film festival just stuff. If, if you can't, Find it on YouTube for whatever reason. We're trying to uh, make little landing pages for all of our coverage from Sundance, all of our coverage from all the other film festivals. There's so many of them. Uh, So be sure to check that out as well. Let us know your recommendations if you're watching at home, if you're in New York, uh, what we should keep an eye out for at Tribeca. But, Zach, before we get into the new to see and the picks for the week, give a shout out to all of the Inner Cutie patrons over on Intercut Let's do it. We want to thank all those wonderful Ooh, patrons who are supporting it. the show. Got a graphic for you wow. this week as well. Feature all the wonderful people who are contributing at least a dollar a month to keep this thing going over on patreon.com slash intercut pod. A big shout out to the Academy level members to Shar, Cademan, Connor, Josh, May, Ricky, Joe, Janicia, Tyler, and Benji. Some of y'all are in the live stream now, I see. So big shout out to all of y'all. And then, of course, a big thanks to those producer level patrons, Udenvir, Sam, and Wiley. We appreciate all the support so much. And a reminder that you too can support the show for as little as $1 a month by heading over to patreon.com slash intercutpod, where you sign up for uh, access to patron benefits, like early access to Uh, some of our episode outlines access to our episodes when we record them you know we're doing some some brackets and some after credits soon that are not going to be streamed live so you'll get to see those a little bit early Uh, you also can help us decide on the brackets what movies and actors or whatever should appear on them when we do our monthly patron google meetings which are always a fun chance to catch up with y'all and talk movies Uh, we still got one more for June that we have to do so we'll probably do that next week 
I don't know what your schedule's like, Arturo, but... Oh, we got uh, a jam-packed we'll... Monday before July. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be... I, uh, I'm going to be on the road for so long, we have a lot to record <laughs> before, yeah, before so, summer uh, break, but yeah. A it's, lot yeah. of chances to uh, to help us figure out what's going on in this show and then maybe talk to us too. So uh, yeah, not too late to sign up to join our June patron hang next month, next week rather, whoop, whoop. over on patreon.com slash intercut pod. Beautiful. Let's talk about what's new for this week, starting off with... They flopped at the box office, but I guess, you know, when you hide it at home, there's really, <laughs> there's really, the numbers are whatever you want it to be, right? Hey, yeah. everyone's a, a, an alien now, and hey, the numbers are breaking records every single Do you see Hot Cheeto, the Hot Cheeto movie? Biggest movie since the last biggest movie? Oh, yeah. And always breaking records whenever there's a new streaming movie. Another, we won't tell you what records are being broken, <laughs> but they broke them. But they broke them. Another Hot Cheeto lie. Secret Invasion <laughs> is honestly Captain Marvel 2. Uh, the previous eons, <laughs> I, d- damn near a recap. It's an elementary <laughs> of just Captain Marvel, and then they begin it. And I got the first two episodes, and a lot of people are coming out going, yo, this is crazy, this is awesome. Look, they already got me with with Moonwalker, Moon Knight, Moon Knight. And Moon Knight. I came out of that really enjoying the first two. Yeah. The nosedive on that series was so bad. Nah, bro, I'm, I'm holding out on this. They make some very interesting choices. If you're a big fan of Civil War, this is feeling a lot like Civil War. That okay. that spy espionage thing. If you're a person who thinks that Civil War is a spy espionage thing just for Marvel fans, then this is not going to change it for you either. Yeah. Uh, it is very, very heavy-centric uh, on uh, Samuel Jackson. A lot of reveals, a lot of explosive things. Zach, this has to be the most heavy-handed. Heavy-handed show they've ever done. Oh, no. It is ridiculous. I'll put it to you this way. There is, I don't even know who's the president, a politician that is a mix of Reagan and Nixon's name put together, and they just are <laughs> not going to notice that. I'm going to leave it right there for those who are excited. Go ahead. It, it looks pretty good. The, the prosthetics yeah. for the, the, the scrolls are fine. We'll talk about it more when Zach gets a chance to see it. It's at least the type that's more story-centric that I think you'd like more. But, bro, bro. They really. I wanted to ask. They really cast this man to play Malcolm X Scroll. I I can't even believe it. Oh I no! I can't even believe it. Oh it no! It is ridiculous. <laughs> they are not slick in the slightest, and I I'm gonna save it for next week. Wait till you hear some of the dialogue yeah. in the show that we're just gonna pretend like whatever they did in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> where they were just talking about our world and nothing having to do with the Marvel world. Right. Boy, are they on that again. He's great. He looks fantastic. That's awesome. I'm glad he got his check. Yeah. Damn, they're just cosplaying. They're just cosplaying real life events, and that's weird to me. How are any? Are, oh. are there any of the new actors like fun to see? You know, it's it's Olivia Coleman. It's Amelia Clark. Kingsley yeah. Benadir. Ben Mendelsohn back. It's yeah. It's, look, it's awesome to see the stat cast. It'll be awesome to see if they do more with them, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it there. But yeah, uh, Don Cheadle, another Emmy nomination for sure. <laughs> uh, if you do have FX, Hulu, Disney, all that good stuff, I'm going to start the recommendations here with the Let's bear. Let's go. Um, I did not know that we had a National Italian Beef Day, and I almost snatched the, the poster, bro. <laughs> Al's Beef hosts National Italian Beef Day, and... Uh, sorry, Bona Beef does, bro. There's beef. There's, there's mm. actual beef going on in Chicago. No one has ele- ever celebrated this this day. But three weeks ago, 
because Bona Beef always does it in order to like drive people to download their app. Al's Beef put together an event sponsored by the Bear in order to just compete with Bona Beef. These are two big beef places. Mr. Beef, where the show actually films, they didn't do anything <laughs> for National Italian <laughs> Beef Day. They didn't do a damn thing. But these two started going at each other just because they wanted to one-up each other. And we went to the event, and like Mr. Al Beef himself, they tell him, it's like, so how'd you hear about this day? He's like, I really didn't know anything about this until they brought me in here. Most Chicago <laughs> dude possible. Clearly, they, they, they cut him the check, and he was just like, hey, promo's promo, screw Bona Beef. They had, they had the better beef that day. Um, but, <laughs> hey, Mr. Beef, Zach came over. He tried He tried it from the source itself. They're Quite delicious. Going, they're going different, though. It's looking to be a completely new take on not the fast food that we saw from the first season, but getting into mm-hmm. that like almost Michelin star menu uh, that uh, he's been trying to build up for what the restaurant is now called, which is the yeah. bear. So I am very excited for this. It's all dropping at the same time. I complained about it, but Zach reminded me. They did the same thing with the first season, so... I yeah, just... but do you, feel, do you think they should have graduated out of that? I mean, it's a hit. Yes. Like, people are excited yes. for it. It's ridiculous, yeah. It's, I, don't... I don't know. Everybody knows the bear is great. Definitely keep your eyes yeah. peeled for it. I am, I am eating it all up in one day. <laughs> I'm a Virgo. I don't know if you got to finish this yet. They sent us the screeners. No, I wa- I've been watching a little bit more of it, and I'm just, like, relentlessly impressed with how creative and just, like, oozing with ideas it is, even if it's, like, a messy show. It's just yes. so inventive and fun. The new Boots Riley It's going to be a miniseries about a young black boy who's a giant, and as he grows <laughs> up, he's kind of, like, hiding away from the world. 13 foot tall. Until, yeah, he starts hanging out with this... this group of people that kind of uh, maybe put him in more trouble than he should be. I'll leave it at that. Right. It, it, Dude, it's Boots Riley. I am all in. My only thing is, like, I want to watch it in full quality because it's on the on the screeners app for Prime. Yeah. I don't want to watch it in 720p. I want to watch it in its full glory. So, uh, so I can recommend the first two episodes highly, highly, highly. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it. It's, it's the kind of show where one of the things they do because he's 13 foot tall is they build him this specific house and his door is made up of four other doors. And if you like little like production design details like that, it's you're going freaking. to have a blast watching. Yes. Yes. We'll, we'll talk more. That's perfect. Yeah. There is a whole behind the scenes of how they made it. I love it. It's it's everything you want. Uh, there's also a movie that I did see as a matinee. So it's going to be perfect as a stream it because I think I ended up landing on a rented. Chevalier, it is out on Hulu. Like, this thing came out on VOD straight to streaming as well. It is the movie, The Untold Story of Chevalier, or Chevalier. I, I'm, I'm not French. But the, the Black <laughs> Mozart is pretty much how they p- pitch him and about his story that was kind of uh, thrown to the wayside because he was, you know, too talented for a lot of people and they wanted to lose him in the history books. Um, Scott Boy in it. Calvin Harrison is always doing a great job in all the movies that he's in. Um, but it does end up being more of a, a, a protest piece for today than an mm. actual story for its time, which is, is weird to say because obviously, you know, French are always protesting. But right. uh, once you see the movie, you'll see what I mean, where it, instead yeah. of ending it on a character point, they ended it on like a, uh, a, a message for the audience at home instead. And I don't know. The, there'll be several more Chevrolet uh, products probably coming out, movies, docs, because they're uncovering more and more about this man. Uh, and how talented he was. So I think you caught this one. Maybe? No, I, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to. I'm really intrigued too. But I, cool. I'm definitely going to catch it this week. So I'll, I'll come back with uh, more thoughts on the movie next week. Sounds good. All right. I added this to my list. That should tell you already, like how much I was looking forward to it. I think both you and I 
think this man is really funny, even when he's not funny, there is an energy <laughs> that John Early has. Yeah. Bro, I know you're a fan of, uh, what's his partner in crime? They did that other one together. I did not oh, like your stand Oh, Kate Berlant, yeah. You went to go see it live. I know you really liked it. I love the special that they did together. Yeah. To me, that is the funniest thing these two have worked on. And his sketch on Tim Robinson. <laughs> you want to pay for the check. <laughs> if you have not seen that one, go do yourself a favor watch that. Uh, Would It Kill You to Laugh is the special they had on Peacock, oh, by the yeah, way. Thank you, for, thank you for mentioning I want to pull that up over here because that one is so awkwardly funny. It, it is one of the best things that's out there. Um, you just scrolled I, past it. Oh, did I? Let me know, let me know. Oh, right there here. There you go. This is... I got to revisit this one, bro. This is so It's funny. really funny. Um, I put this one already on the recommended, and look, my first watch of it, I finished it this morning. It's good. Um, still putting it on my recommended because I got to just recommend you the two that I really enjoyed. Uh, but I don't know if you caught this. It's his stand-up slash musical performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I haven't caught it yet, but I'm, I'm like you excited too because he's just got an energy to him that even if necess- even if all the jokes aren't necessarily hitting, like – it's just fun to see the yes. energy and the the momentum that he carries. I think a lot of what he does is sort of improvised and felt out in the moment. Both both he and Kate Berlant do a lot of that. Yes, they but do. they're they're just like they're snappy and and clever enough and just a joy to watch that I don't think it like gets old. They also just fall. Like there are some actors who do a fake fall. This <laughs> they're both man, very good physical performers. <laughs> this man will hurt himself. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Uh, and definitely check out the special that I had recommended past that. It's also a Tribeca pick. I don't know if you know this. They yeah. denied us. They denied us the link. So I was mm-hmm. like, I guess I'll have to wait three days. <laughs> right. But hey, oh no. Still, still gets the recommendation for me. And then if you are going to theaters, you know they do have a comedy with Jennifer Lawrence out this weekend. But hey, if you can catch the blackening, it is definitely worth going to support because they have some really killer jokes. I am surprised with how much Lionsgate allowed in this movie, for being completely honest. <laughs> definitely check out the short on YouTube. It's free. Uh, if that interests you, then I think you will enjoy the movie. Zach. Uh, or if you yeah. had a, another blackening thought, go ahead. No, I was just going to add that, you know, it did make $6 million in its opening weekend, which, you know, that's not Marvel money, but it's not no. too bad for, it didn't get like a whole lot of marketing. I think I, I just looked up the budgets around $7 million, so it'll make that back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, marketing mo- too. the comedies in movie theaters, who thought? Who'd have thunk of it? <laughs> yeah. I hope, it, I hope it gets likes. All right, uh, not a lot of comedies in theaters, although oddly this is a big comedy in theaters moment with blackening and no hard feelings. My comedy recommendation are a pair of shows that are on Max or HBO or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Let's start with The Righteous Gemstones, which is returning for its third hilarious season. Uh, I got into this show late. I actually got into it late last year. Uh, Just sort of, yeah, just decided to binge it one day and just completely uh, got swept away by how funny and how irreverent it is. Danny McBride is very, very good at doing this thing where the like the man child thing in a way that's beyond just like oh you're so immature. Like there's like a a smartness to how stupid they are. Like a like a a motivated quality that you see through the family dynamics. He's not just being stupid to, to act stupid. He's being stupid because this is how you've seen his character raised and treated and allowed to act. Um, but there's also like this compelling drama that they are able to in- weave into righteous gemstones every year. Like I'm find myself surprised by how invested I get into the story. And this year specifically seems like it's going to be uh, in some ways 
reminiscent of succession as they decide which sibling is going to uh, ascend to the the top of the church that they uh, their father runs but oh, you know call it catholic succession <laughs> exactly catholic succession i mean look uh john goodman an absolute american treasure that does not get as much love as he deserves hilarious on the show for his humor yeah it's underrated very underrated. Uh, already talked about Danny McBride. Adam Devine, this is like the the right mold for him. I like when he can be this kind of shithead, vulgar child, man-child. So he's very fun. But the one who really blows me away every week is Edie, Edie Patterson, who playing their sister, Judy Gemstone. They just give her <laughs> some of the most ridiculous lines, and her reading is hilarious consistently. Uh, I find her to be so, so funny funny so yeah i mean i just i hope people try and catch up with righteous gemstones it it took me like a couple tries to just figure out what the show is going for and once i got the tone it's become one of my favorite comedies on tv it's uh what was the one that's on peacock we caught it at sundance it's based off the short oh it's also about a church um, in atlanta uh yeah honk if you're honk for jesus honk for jesus (laughs) yeah honk for jesus Save your soul, yeah. yeah. Song for Jesus, save your soul. Uh, That one's really effective if you've ever been to church. The parody (laughs) in this is so uncomfortable because, yeah, it it was so on the nose for it. I do need to jump (laughs) back into it. When it started and I caught it, I was like, this is a little too on point. (laughs) They're hitting it on the nail. So, thumbs up on that. I've only seen the first season and then the uh, vomit scene. (laughs) Season season two is so good. Uh, Jason Schwartzman plays a reporter named Thaniel. But if that's not enough laughs for you, you can stay on Max and watch the other two, which uh, we find the world has finally caught up to the screeners we were sent. And there's an, I finally have a new episode to talk about and what an episode it was. Cause uh, the whole bit about (laughs) chase dreams uh, (laughs) do like doing a a night for mental health awareness is like everything I've been wanting to say about the way mental health gets treated in particularly in celebrity circles, but they do it so much funnier. Um, The whole bit, the whole bit of like insert whatever name of whatever Parkland survivor is like one of the craziest jokes. I have not seen the last episode, bro. (laughs) It's one of the craziest jokes they've come up with. It's just so searing. And so uh, so precise. They they really have such an eye for cutting the culture. Um, I, I I I don't know, man. I think they're working on a level that's that's the tops in the tops for this type of commentary. It's just so smart and so so funny. Uh, you know, it got another wave of attention because of Talk the whole <laughs> elemental. Like, there's a voice actor who. Uh, said that they are the first yeah great great for them uh announced that they are voicing the first non-binary character in a pixar film a character who i don't think any of us knew existed at all you miss yeah a whole whopping one line (laughs) uh not dissimilar from the globby storyline that took place earlier this season on the other two classic instant classic and it's the week after they announced the Bambi movie from Sarah Polly, another plot line that was on the other two that they were doing a Bambi live action remake. Like they're just the ability that the other two is like forecasting things that are happening in the culture. Yeah. Every week now speaks to how 
amazing the show is and how great the writing is. Zach, I think that the third season is not only their best season. Yes. In terms of everything that HBO has released this year. Zach. Oh my god. Oh man. Zach, I think it's better than Succession if I were to be putting my favorite HBO Whoa! stuff. Oh. Max, you make me a Max list, make me an HBO list, bro. <laughs> I have thought about it. I have been wanting to say this to you since I finished <laughs> the, the screeners for that. And now that it's fully wrapped up, I am presenting it to you. I truly believe that this is one of the best things that HBO has released. And I think it's the best thing that they released this year. I, look, I stand by I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not going to fully agree, uh, but I am going to I am going to agree that it is like one of the best TV shows of this year. It is it is better than a lot of the shows that you consider like to be the elite like, of prestige TV, and it just does not get that recognition. And again, like I I, I totally agree that the third season they've upped their game yet again. Unreal. If this show does not stick around for a couple more years, it will be a tragedy. Two thumbs up, and if I had more, if I had a globby finger, I'd also do that as well. <laughs> is Carrie Dubeck the worst person on TV right now? Like, for a while it was like Walter White or somebody, but now I think it's Carrie. You know, there are a lot of shows that try to uh, mimic that, the idea of, of being a terrible person, and it's like they yeah. just come off annoying. They have, they, they've nailed it. <laughs> They're yeah. such despicable people to the people <laughs> around them and to the people closest to them. So, yeah, yeah no, I, it, they fire in all cylinders. And again, I hate that because it's a comedy first unlike again succession being a drama that people find right. funny i think it gets underlooked a lot but it is it is operating on a level that they that they just knocked it out of the park man it's so good i'm so glad that you're loving it too <laughs> it's, it's great uh okay a couple films that i'll recommend uh armageddon time apparently available on prime this week and uh, peacock you know, they lose uh, it all the time we had this yeah. discussion <sighs> Yeah, it's weird the the way that these companies are just like letting their license to these films slip. Like it's, you know, I, I like wanted to rewatch the first Spider Verse movie before watching the new one, and it's just like which you're playing like whack a mole with streaming yes. services. It's like I knew I saw it on Prime at one point. It definitely lived on Netflix for like a uh -huh. year. I, I don't know. Physical media, baby. <laughs> yeah, it definitely helps for sure. Uh, but Armageddon Time, if you haven't caught up with a movie that I found very profound and, uh, you know, a movie that maybe is helpful to, like, sit at home where you can really, like, ponder it, uh, I'd give that a recommendation. Plus, we were just talking about Succession. Jeremy Strong, incredible performance in Armageddon Time. Yes, and is. a very different character to uh, Kendall Roy. So if, if for nothing else but that, uh, I give it a recommendation. Uh, but then I want to talk about... Prime's the bigger P-service, I would say, that people have. <laughs> uh, yeah, of all the P-services, I'd say Prime is the best one. <laughs> but speaking of the best P-movie stars there we go. with P, let's like the go, dude. Uh, Past Lives, it expands into a uh, wider release this weekend. So if you've been waiting for it somewhere in the U.S., hopefully it makes its way to you this week. You know, it's been getting excellent, excellent reviews. I feel like people are just sort of echoing the things that we felt when we saw this one at Sundance. That is like one of the 
one of the best films about kind of like unrequited love and diverging paths. You know, there's all these movies uh, coming out now that are multi multiversal storytelling that sort of hint at like the different ways your life could have gone. This movie does that better and in a much simpler package. It is unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) No no flash speed force. None of that. Exactly. Oh my goodness. It doesn't need it. It just needs Celine Song's devastating uh, dialogue. You know, it, it's it's honestly just one of the most beautiful films I've seen in quite some time. Uh, articulates an idea that I feel like lots of us feel and think about, but I don't know if I've quite seen it portrayed in movies this way. Um, basically like if you love that line from everything everywhere all at once, I, in another lifetime, I'd like to do laundry, just like to do laundry and taxes with you. You're going to flip for seeing this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the, my favorite parts that I, I wasn't even expecting it, right? Cause there are sometimes we watch these movies. Uh, we get to see them early. We don't know how they're going to sit with audiences, but when something's great, it's great. And you just wonder if a patient movie like this will sit mm-hmm. with mass audiences, right? Now that it's rolling out. Bro, I was not expecting, right? Like you're mentioning this past lives concept that uh, is, is a really big Asian, uh, you know, I don't want to say mythology, but uh, uh, a way that they look at their their, their world. The, yeah. the fact that you're getting all these people, like Americans watching it going, damn, in my past lives. They're doing like great quotes <laughs> after watching this A24 movie, and I was not expecting it to hit general audiences like that. But yeah. I said, we both said, it sneaks up on you, and I'm just so happy. Look at that. Look at that score. The mm. people have spoken. <laughs> That's Hell a yeah. crazy letterbox Hell uh, yeah. graph. Yeah. You know, I, I've been asking what do people want to see an LME on? And they're like, you need to explain why the heck this is so high. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I can, but I feel I can't do it better. There are just some movies where the movie tells it all to you. Just just go watch it. Go experience it. Hopefully it's playing near you. Go watch it at the whatever your the AMC is. Go watch it there. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and then uh, I guess I have one more pick for the week. (laughs) You had such a good pick. How could you? (laughs) Damn, I did go to the AMC to catch this one. Asteroid City. Um, (laughs) I I completely biffed your transition there. But, uh, yeah, man, we got new Wes Anderson in the world. That's always a reason to celebrate. And I've talked about how the last couple Wes Anderson films didn't really hit for me in the same way. I, I didn't hate it. I just thought they were okay. Um, I'm, I'm so happy to say I'm back in, baby. We are back. Asteroid City is unbelievable. Whoa, Not, hey, I mean, take look, it easy. Look, we we know that a Wes Anderson movie is going to be like one of the most meticulously crafted works of art that you've ever seen. Like, obviously, the the way it's shot, the way it's production designed, all the elements that are uh, that are thrown in visually are are pristine and beautiful, like picture book esque, right? But there's like there's like an emotional layer that I felt like I was missing at least from a, the last couple films that okay. I completely connected with here. The, the, these idea of these characters who are carrying around this hurt, but don't really want to address it and do they, they fill their lives with these other things instead of it. Uh, and then when they're trapped within this city, how a lot of it sort of comes out, not only that, but there's like a meta layer to the film that I don't really want to talk about. Cause it's not really, I've- in a lot of the trailers. I've gotten whips of it, yes. It's really good and really like 
just so dynamic in a way that like only a talent like Wes Anderson can do. The way this film moves from sequence to sequence is so impressive and beguiling. And you know, it's not a movie that I feel like is that easy to wrap your head around or that easy to like get a firm conclusion on. There's sort of questions that you might be lingered with, but I love seeing Wes Anderson in this mode because not only like, I I like seeing the kind of, um, interpersonal family dynamics and the, the more emotional uh, vulnerability that he sometimes can imbue in his characters. But he's also expanding kind of like what even is a Wes Anderson film. There's there's sort of sci-fi otherworldly elements to this film too. Um, it's just so exciting as from a filmmaker that I love to see him not only do what he does excellently, but do some new things too. Uh, yes, I'm really, really hyping this film up a lot. I, I'm not going to say that this is like top three Wes Anderson for I'm me. It's say, not like top five. The, it might be top five, man. It's definitely my favorite since Moonrise, and it's kind of like similar level to me for that. There are screenings at Regal's tomorrow that are supposed to be advanced for those who aren't going to get it until later on this week. So keep an eye out for that, especially for people who may not be getting it that that soon. Yo, I'm Amanda talked about it. You're gushing yeah. about it. I, I, yeah, I have several screenings this week. I don't, I just want to see it in the best, the best possible screen. I am, yeah. I'm excited for it. You think you'll catch it again? I'm a hundred percent catching it again. Yeah, for okay. sure. All right. Well, <laughs> that is everything for this week in movies. Uh, going back on our picks for the week. Look, you can stay at home. You can go out in theaters. There is so much good stuff. Pick yourself up an Italian beef if you've never had one and watch season two of The Bear over on FX Hulu. Over on Prime, they're going to be doing I'm a Virgo, which, hey, I'm a big Boots Riley fan. I just love his imagination. They let the man cook for this one. Uh, Creativity out the ass. Easily. Uh, I'm very curious to know your thoughts on this one because uh, not a lot of people saw this in theaters. But, hey, it's out at home and many times that's the the best way that they can get eyes on it. Chevalier, Chevalier, however you say it. John Early, now more than ever, but very more than that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just going to say it. You got to go watch this one. Yeah. We recommended it last time. Would it kill you to laugh over on Peacock until it ends up on Prime? Uh, definitely a standout. They're just so funny. Uh, the next one that I have here is The Blackening. In case you are going out to theaters, it seems like we're in the comedy side of things for the next two weeks before mm-hmm. Indiana Jones comes back, which I caught. Zach is seeing this weekend, so we will have a full review for that. Or our first thoughts on that next week. Um, yes. But those are my picks. Zach has... Uh, the Righteous Gemstones returning for season three. Danny McBride includes some of the some of the funniest actors on TV. But I think the show that I find to be the funniest on TV right now is my other recommendation from I'm Max. Standing the by it. other two. Look, it is amazing and it's easily like the most underrated show happening right now because people should be talking about this every week. They're starting to. They're they starting started to. to. Thank you. Yes, they started yeah. to. So I, I love that. Uh, and another reason why that weekly model, I think, helps, because its I feel like it's been building the momentum, too, for a show like that. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Armageddon Time, one of my favorite films from last year, now available to Amazon Prime users. Over you on can the check P. that out there. Uh, but the best two films in theaters right now, I, I honestly don't think it's even a question. Oh, wait, no, the shoot. Flash? There's actually a lot of good th- films in theaters right now okay. uh, with Spider-Verse and You Hurt My Feelings. But you know what? These are probably <laughs> still my two favorite films in yes. theaters right now. Uh, the beautiful, wonderful, touching Past Lives from director Celine Song and Studio A24. And then, of course, Wes Anderson returning with the immaculately crafted Asteroid City. I'm really excited to hear your reaction to it. that one, too. I need it. Well... 
that's everything for this week's show. What a jam-packed Oof. summer we are having. It is good to be a movie fan. You know, it's insane. Zach, do you remember when it died? Cinema? Three years ago? Yeah. When it was over? <laughs> well, Yeah, it's nobody's kicking. going back to theaters anymore, I heard. Hey, movies are back. The movies yeah. are here. and We got a lot to cover. So for this week's show, that's all that we have. But Zach, where can people find more from you? You can catch me on Twitter or Letterboxd or Instagram at Zshevich, Z-S-H-E-V as in Virgo, I-C-H. And check out my YouTube or TikTok channels at Multiplex Show. We just posted a video about which actor has been in the most Wes Anderson movies. I feel oh. like most people know know the answer, but there's there's some little Surprises? interesting touches in there. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Give it a, give uh-huh. a watch. How about okay. you, Art? Uh, you can find me over at LME Movies on all the social medias. And Devesh says I need to go to London because they got an Asteroid City exhibition. I, look, I've never been to one of those when they, they post up right before his movies. But I can't imagine being on a set, a replica of a Wes Anderson movie. Because people mm-hmm. already go to it talking about how <laughs> how much the production design stands out. I, I would love to live in one of his worlds. They need a theme park right for this man. Uh, so then yeah. Scorsese's line can come full, full circle. Uh, <laughs> other than that, a reminder that you can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast here on Intercut. Uh, you can listen over on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcatcher is. You can catch the live video here on YouTube. A big shout out to all of the Intercuties. Uh, uh, thank you again. Uh, Zexo has the... Uh, bit right here a shout out to all of the intercutie patrons over on the intercut podcast uh like zach said we're going to be doing a couple of other um brackets uh other outlines for a lot of the stuff that we need to film leading into the summer because uh, this is going to be nothing but back-to-back movies. Uh, a, a big shout-out to everyone who listens live. All the iTunes listeners who leave us five-star reviews, we really appreciate that. Other than that, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe to all of the socials of Horror Intercut Pod. And until next time, keep watching movies. And we'll return with a part two, just like all these 2023 movies. <laughs> Into the Intercutverse. I like that.